Hello and welcome back to the True Crime Guys podcast. I'm Lauren. And I'm Michael. What's up, Creepers? How you doing? How was your Christmas? Happy New Year. Happy New Year. That's right. 2020. How was your Christmas? My Christmas was pretty good, man. Uh, my kids yeah. really got spoiled by all their family here back home, so it kind of took the pressure off me as a parent. You know what I mean? Because every time they yeah, would you tell know me what? something they want, I would just be like, I would just filter it to the grandparents. And they That's just they the handled it. it. They handled it. And I ended up buying my kids like uh, you know, virtual money, like on Fortnite and shit. That's just what they wanted. And nobody there else nobody else wants to spend money on that kind of thing. So Right. I was so like, then you're really the hero in the Yeah, end. so there you go. And and what do they play more? They play the video games more. I mean obviously. Exactly. Is what it is. Well my <laughs> my my kids are one and two and a half. And so like my son, I got him one big thing. I got him like a four wheeler. He's been asking for a new bike from Santa for all year basically. Nice. So we got him a really cool quad, but uh, like my daughter, I didn't. We got her like one little thing just because we know like how grandparents are on yeah, both sides. My right. my grand her, their, their grandparents, my parents, and her parents are like just a million toys. So <laughs> that, I, we don't have the biggest house as it is. So now we're going through the process of like, man, the donation centers are going to be getting a, like a whole toy store. Oh my god! Like, all the old shits getting cycled out, and all the new stuffs coming in. That's right. We just don't have room for f- fucking Toys R Us, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I know what you mean. It's too much shit, man. Well, I mean, they, they're the first grandbabies, right? Yeah. So. Well, no, because my uh, my brother-in-law, he's a baby machine. Oh, oh, that's so. right. Okay. Well, yeah. you know, first... <laughs> brother in Well, even on your wife's side, it's it's their first grandkids from their daughter. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. I don't know. I don't know if that yeah. makes any difference, but... I feel like it does. What's funny though is the kids, like my kids, all they do is like they have the, I built them this big toy box yeah. and all they do, their favorite thing to do is just go into that toy box and take everything out of it. And that's the game. And like the- <laughs> they don't play with the toys. They just get the toys out and then the room is filled with toys. And then <laughs> you know what they're doing. I have to sit there and have a talk with my son to try and get him to put the toys back in. Like, come on, put them back. I can't do it. And I'm like, do you it. took them out. You can put them back. <laughs> ridiculous oh my god you know what they're doing they're like watch this you take all this out of here and we just take a nap later watch and Daddy all this stuff will be back in here it's <laughs> like magic again. and we'll just take them all out again it's the best toy they've yep. ever gotten us <laughs> yeah yeah it's absurd pretty soon they'll be hiding in there they love they love man they love toy boxes oh yeah hiding in boxes making yep. forts that they're they're yep. your kids are on the brink of that they'll figure it out soon oh yeah that actually that's one of the toys they got was uh the grandparents got them a tent you know, like our teepee, oh, yeah. teepee thing. So it's like a little mini fort. Yeah. And they love hanging out in there. They do, man. They love their own space. It's like we as humans, yep. we we want our own little space, even as kids. It's funny. Right. So, yeah, good Christmas. Oh, yeah, man. Uh, what else is going on? Uh, not a whole lot, man. Not a whole lot. I got a little bit of a cold. <clears throat> yeah, it sounds you like it. noticed. I got a little bit of a cold, but I'm powering through it. You know, I can do this. Y'all can deal with this, uh old 40-year smoker voice right here, then we'll be good to go. Well, yeah. adversity never hurt anybody, you know? That's right. It's like, I feel fine otherwise. My voice just sounds like shit. I feel fine. You got any New Year's resolutions? Um, Yeah, actually. We're trying to, me and my wife, we're both, we're just trying to, uh, we're just trying to just cut back on uh, consumption in general. Um, especially, uh, like, plastics. And uh, shit like that. Oh. I don't know, man. I just been really looking so into it. The, and it's uh, you're gonna do the like aluminum straws and no, we just uh, don't do straws. I don't use straws ever. I never like straws. All the cold drinks at the top, man. What the hell are we doing? I, I don't get that. Ice floats. You know. 
and I drink most yeah, of that's water. the water. That's the annoying part is that ice floats, and then when you like go to drink, the ice is on your face. Oh, I don't mind that. I don't mind that. A little nice frosty mustache when I get done. I'm cool with that. All right. Okay. Um, so Michael's anti-straws, people, now that we know that. No, I'm not anti-straws. I just never cared about them in the first place. Everybody's like, we're not using straws. I'm like, okay. You know? It's like if... That's what I mean. Not, not, from a, not from a green standpoint. You're not like cut out straws for the environment. You're just like, straws just suck. Yeah. I was like, I never used them. I don't... All right. Yeah. I mean, but you should cut them out for the environment because they're terrible. And sea turtles. So... You know, that stuff yeah, is happening. But, yeah, just, just consuming less, man. Just, like, stop buying brand-new clothes made of, you know, 70% polyester plastic shit. Like, just everything mm-hmm. has so much packaging. Like, even when you go to the grocery store, it's just, like, plastic on plastic and shrink-wrapped plastic. You know, it's just everywhere. It is, yeah. And it's just it's just Yeah, been we've conviction. been doing the uh, canvas bags at the grocery store for years now. That's it's, right. It's, it's easier, too. It's yeah. just plain easier. Yeah, it is. It just makes like you can sense. fit way more shit in those. They don't rip. Like it's just better. <clears throat> That's right. That's right. And it, you know, it's it sucks because the world shouldn't be this way. It shouldn't be on the responsibility of the consumer to to be the saver all the time. It should be on these big mm-hmm. businesses. You know what I'm saying? Who are right. given bonuses every year? It's just it's just aggravating in that sense. But we really don't have a choice. It's literally the only way that you can stop this kind of like overpackaging and consumption of um, unrenewable materials and all that shit. Like, it's the only way to do it is just stop buying it. That's the only thing that'll get their attention. And I know it's probably yeah. on a very small scale, but, you know, I just feel like we should do our part, especially being a family of five. You know, we kind of got a pretty big footprint already, so. Right. So, well, yeah. no, that, 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 does, that is the way to do things, is from the, is from the ground. Like, uh, vote vote local, all that stuff, yeah. and then also um, I've noticed a change when it comes to what's available at the grocery store over the years, Yep. Uh, and I'd like to think we played our small, small part in that. Like, we always bought, uh, when they had it, cage-free eggs, we'd spend a little bit more and get those, and then yep. eventually they started having, you started to see a bigger section. You know, it was like, all they had before was the regular, you know, 99-cent eggs That's that right. were from these these uh, places where the chickens can't even turn around in their cage, you know? And yeah, then, and they grew to that size suddenly, in four months. Yeah, enough people started buying the cage free for a little bit more money, and then all of a sudden there was free range eggs available too, and you start buying those, and it's like it just keeps getting better and better. Yep. Um, you know, I noticed like the quality of meat at grocery stores now. They have like most grocery stores, even like the chain ones, have grass fed beef where they free. I remember when I was a kid, they never had that. No, you know, it was just no. like they had the cheap shit, and that was it. That's right. Um, so, you know, if people buy it, that they're it's supply and demand. People, they're going to supply it if that's you buy right. it. So that's right. That, that's true, man. That that's a good way of looking at it. That's definitely some positive light shed on the subject. There's even even the smaller grocery stores here, you know. And I and I live in a rural area. They still have cage free eggs and like you said, grass feed, grass fed beef, and everything like mm-hmm. that. And they free just, range chicken. Right, right. Organic apples, like everything. It's just stuff that you you weren't able to get before as often you know you'd have to go to like a farmer's market or something like that it's always been available mm-hmm. here i mean everything grows here it's just the the demand wasn't there to put it in the grocery stores where 95 percent of people are getting their groceries you know what i mean that's if they're not there right <laughs> we're not really making an impact but since stuff is showing up that's a good point that's a good point all right well sorry to be long-winded in the intro this week guys it's just it's the end of the year so we're i think and also we've mentioned it michael and i don't see each other anymore so we like to kind of catch up before we get into it, just to kind of loosen up and get ready to talk some moita. <laughs> um, right. 
I don't have a New Year's resolution. I, I usually don't do that, but good luck to everybody that does do that. Yeah. I hope it lasts more than like three weeks into the January. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Hopefully that gym membership you sign up for on the first actually you're actually using still in like October, you know? <laughs> Stick to it, guys. Stick to your guns. You Write down your listen. goal and don't stop till you get there. Exactly. And then create a new one. You'll appreciate it. And if you don't, you know you're gonna look back and go, Man, if I'd have stuck with it up till now, I'd be ripped. Or whatever your goal is. You know, I'd have done drop thirty yep. pounds or what you just the bottom line is there whatever you're trying to accomplish there's going to be days where you don't want to do it that's where the rubber meets the road you got to get up you got to just do it Dude, you know on those days. days most days whatever your goal is yep. getting there you're not going to want to do it that's but right. you got to just force yourself to do it and then after you're done with that day's session of whatever it was you're always you know we keep talking about this but whatever <laughs> it's the so self-help true crime podcast it's so important though god it's so important i mean it totally uh, whatever. Let's get into Israel Keys, bro. Yeah, so we talked a lot about uh, our kids and Christmas and all that stuff. And uh, the one thing Israel Keys self-proclaimed is that he wouldn't hurt children. Yeah. Um, do I believe that? I don't know. I think it's just one of those things serial killers like to. They like to give themselves just a little bit of like humanity. Right. You know, in these inter- in these interviews with police, they try to. Like, well, I wouldn't do that. Sure, I'll slaughter. An innocent eighteen-year-old girl, but like if she was seventeen, I wouldn't touch her. Oh no! You know, man. it's like all right. <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> I like your accent you're yeah. going for. I'm going to use that. That's pretty good. This dude, right. <laughs> this dude is so annoying, man. He's like a, he's like a brat. He's a, he was a bitch. It, yeah, for sure. But I mean, even more pathetic than that. It's just like, he just seemed like a little brat sitting there to me. Somebody that's just never been told no. He's just always done what he wanted to do. I don't know. It. I just hated everything about this dude, man. Whether it's yeah, all he's a real hateable or not. figure. He's a hateable figure, and he didn't even stick around to see it through either behind oh, bars. Not. And dude, he would have got killed know. so quick. Oh man. Anyways, all right, let's dive into Israel Keys. Oh, okay. Let's. Do, let, well, we haven't done the intro yet. Okay, let's play that. No. Nope. The FBI needs your help identifying the victims of a man the feds describe as addicted to murder. This is a truly unique case, folks. Listen to this. Admitted serial killer Israel Keys might have killed as many as 11 people, a car rental in Alabama, purchases in Louisiana, a flight out of Dallas, a ferry in Oklahoma, more car rentals in Michigan and Washington State. All of this happening between December 2007, February 2008. Back when I was smart, I would um, do it. I would let them come to me. If you come to a remote area that's not anywhere near where you live, but that other people go to as well, you might not get exactly what you're not much to choose from in a manner of speaking, but there's also no witnesses really there's no fields around. <laughs> you know, they say we have a lot to learn from serial killers. Studying their minds, studying their methods, studying their motives, it can be very insightful. But in this particular case, I don't believe Israel to be completely unrelatable. Now, before you crucify me, hold up. Hear me out. I'm sure you're aware, and if you're not, Israel Keys wrote a two-page letter, a suicide note, if you will, before killing himself. 
for the most part, the letter had nothing to do with being in prison, and it had nothing to do with his killings. In fact, it was a, I guess, in his mind, a wake-up call to the to the normal way of American life, to the normal things that we take for granted every day. And I think there's a little bit of insight in it as to the way that serial killers view us. So I'm going to read you a little excerpt from uh, his two-page suicide letter. It goes like this. Back in your ride, the night is still young. Streetlights push back the black and neat rows. Off to the right, a graveyard appears. Lines of stones, bodies molded below. Turn away quick, bob your head to the seat. As straight through that stop sign you roll, and a loaded truck with lights off slams into you broadside. Your flesh smashed as metal explodes. You may have been free. You loved living your life. Fate had its own scheme, crushed you like a bug, and you still die. Soon, now, you'll join those ranks of dead, or your ashes, the wind will soon blow. Family and friends will shed a few tears, pretend it's off to heaven you go. But the reality is, you were just bones and meat, and with your brain died also your soul. All right, our case this week. Um, I think a lot of people have been waiting for us to do Israel Keys. I was going to say, it's been recommended quite a bit. It right? has. It has. It's, it's, it, it, this case is kind of picking up steam lately. Um, the average person like that's not really deep into true crime doesn't really, hasn't, probably hasn't heard of Israel Keys. A couple people have asked me what we're doing this week, and I told them they didn't know who Israel Keys is. Um, mm-hmm. That being said... Uh, I think it's because of the lack of evidence. Yeah. Yeah, you got to kind of take his I word for a lot of turns the a lot of people off. But he was definitely, right. definitely there's there's definitely evidence that he was jaunting around the country here and there all the time, and mm-hmm. he had this criminal lifestyle. And how he was funding it was robbing banks and and uh, you know stealing uh, people's credit cards after murdering them and then hitting ATMs. And he was funding his because right. his his contracting business. Although it had some good reviews up in Alaska, I don't think he was getting much business. I don't think he was making much money. So I think he was... Uh, there just can't be that much work in Alaska. And I think most people that live in Alaska can do that sort of thing for themselves. Right. And I don't. I think it was just him, right? Like, I don't think he had he any employees. So... <clears throat> yeah, probably not. But uh, yeah, this guy, uh, he may or may not have murdered 11 people or more. We're not, we don't really know. Like we said, you have to kind of take his word for it. And he was he was playing coy with the... Uh, interrogators after he was caught when they were trying to decipher you know they were trying to connect different missing persons to him and everything he would he would play coy with them because he he's like basically if you can get the evidence then i'll i'll tell you and he's being a little bitch basically and uh having fun right. with sitting down there and and, and smoking making them bring him cigars and candy bars and well, that's just what somebody who didn't even commit the murder would say as well, though. Yeah, Michael's yeah. Well, you tell me what happened, his... and I'll tell you, I'll tell you, uh, yeah, that's what happened. Right. <laughs> like, I don't know, man. We're going to talk about it. Yeah. Well, let's dive into him from the beginning. So he was born January 7th, 1978 in Richmond, Utah. Oh, first, let's talk about a little bit about the book that I, I, I got for 
studying this case. It's called American Predator, The Hunt for the Most Meticulous Serial Killer of the 21st Century. Uh, it was written by Maureen Callahan. I really enjoyed the book. Great, great book. It's got Audible. If you're like me mm-hmm. and you don't, you, don't, you don't have the attention span or the time to sit down and actually read a book, <laughs> if you can listen to <laughs> right. it on the road, you know, if maybe you drive all day or you, you know, you have the ability to listen while you work in your cubicle or whatever. And that's how you're listening to us right, right now. It's a great book. Um, and it, it is true. You know, like this, this dude, he's just so hateable that most people don't want to attribute any, a lot. Michael, I think part of your skeptic, skepticism with him, as far as like, he didn't do all this shit is because you hate him so much. But well, my thing is like, if you're going to kill yourself and you're going to go out anyways, why not get as much notoriety as you can? Why not sell everything? Yeah, I think he he also wanted to s- to remain uh, a little bit mysterious as well, because he really he was mm-hmm. one of those type of guys that want like, he he wanted you to think there was more going on to him. Really, he's a simpleton. I think, you know, like right. he's one of the he's like butt rock. You know, like he just like the the poem that he left when you. he killed himself. You know. Spoiler alert. He left this yeah. long, like, 10-page, awful, awfully written poem where it's, like, all these dark lyrics about... <laughs> Wait, it was 10 pages? I don't know. It was at least that long. It was stupid long. You know? And it was just, like, a oh, really man. terrible, like, metal song almost, like, lyrics to, like, a... That's that's such a new metal thing for him yeah. to do. Yeah. <laughs> so, but... That was his favorite And, and I think that's why he would... I think that's why uh, he would kill himself before giving all the details as he wanted to remain mysterious. He thought that would add to his legend. He did care about his legacy as a bad, evil person, right. believe it or not. He did have a daughter, so there was some... Maybe he was trying to protect okay. her a little bit, but at the same time, I think he wanted to remain mysterious. And maybe people, mm-hmm. like you said, will attribute even more to him the less he says, you know, like... That's a good point. So. But it'll always have that asterisk, not confirmed. Yeah, the thing that sets him apart and is that he was a serial. Not believe. The thing that sets him apart is that he was a serial killer in the 21st century, which is pretty. It's hard to get away with that shit now. We've talked about it. Most of the successful yeah. serial killers we've covered were in the 70s, 80s, or even earlier. You know, so he was doing this shit right just a few years ago, really. You know, in yeah. the 2010s, 2011. See, and with that, and with it being so recent, though, you have to look at the fact that he has access to news and all sorts of information from all over the country. Mm-hmm. You know, when these things happen, they're like, oh, this murder was taking place here, and then maybe he's traveling there just to be in that proximity. And he's like, oh, maybe I'll rob a bank while I'm here, and then later I'll take credit for that murder. You know? I, I don't know. I'm just saying. It's a possibility. I guess so, but I think... You know, if you're if you're robbing banks and you're taking people's credit cards or whatever, however you're doing it, I think you you need to be on the run constantly. Everything was track traceable. He knew that. He took he was smart enough to take batteries out of cell but phones we know, and all that stuff, but he wasn't smart. But we know he for sure killed know. three people, in my opinion, minimum. And okay. if he's willing to... The heinous crime that he committed um, on the on the young girl in Alaska, which we'll, we'll dive into... In a bit. This is gonna be a long episode, by the way. He did. A, he did. That's a lot. the one he definitely. If did. he did that heinous of a crime, yeah. which we know he did, why would you think that? Say he. Say he sees in the in the that there's a missing person across the country. Why would he drive over there, and rob a bank just so that he could later say that he did that murder when he would? We already know he's capable of a heinous murder. He, I'm, I think it's more likely he just would do that murder in the first well, place. Well, I think, I think the heinous murder and. The heinous murder was the last thing that got him caught, right? With the girl, with using her ATM card, right? Well, I think maybe he was working up to that. And then he finally did it. 
And now they're looking way more into this ATM card because it's not just a robbery anymore. There's a murder attached to this this card, and he left text messages and all this shit. And he just made a dumb mistake on his first fucking murder. I don't know. I think you just hate him so much that you're trying to like downplay his the amount of crimes he was capable of. Um, this well, is a guy that was torturing cats at like 12 years old. Okay. You know, like he's he... now that is true. That is true. <laughs> he was bad. Okay, from like the he jump. Had, like he scared he his brothers and sisters when he was growing up. Um, he's, 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 uh, he's a bit of a psychopath. No, he had, he had the upbringing for it. I got yeah. you. So let's dive into I it. I mean, the rebellious parents. We, the more yeah. of these conversations are to come. You're, you're jumping ahead. So his childhood, oh, he was born January 7th, 1978 in Richmond, Utah, a very small town. Um, well, it was the tiny town of Cove in Utah near Richmond, I suppose. Um, he shares a birthday with Nicholas Cage and Lamar Jackson, the current NFL he MVP, it. It, it seems as though he's a lock. Lamar Jackson. Yeah, he, that's good. That's too oh, good a company, right? Definitely. Yeah. Lamar, by the way, he doesn't deserve helped Nicholas me. Cage and Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson. Uh, if you had him in fantasy this year, congratulations on your Jesus championship. Christ. I'm one of them. I was actually two for two <laughs> this year in fantasy football. Those of, those of you fantasy football nerds out there, I was in two leagues. I won them both. It's it's a phenomenal feeling. It's really made the end of my year. And I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking, some of you listeners. It would be cool to be in a fantasy football league with Lorne. No, it would not. He will kick your ass. <laughs> He's really fucking good at fantasy football. This is not like, uh, where'd you finish the last few years, Lorne? Probably like top three. Yeah, uh, this is this is the, yeah. I, I, I usually get screwed. Fluke, like Don't do it. I usually get screwed right at the end, like my team something bad happens right in the championship. I usually make it to the top, the final three, you know, <laughs> three or four. Right. Um, my record right now on Yahoo Fantasy over like the last four years, I'm like, what was it, 47 and 20? I have like a 73% win, which is absurd. I'm like diamond rated. It is they absurd. rate you with like gems. I'm diamond. <laughs> Everybody else is like silver or gold. Freaking Coach Lauren over yeah. here. Y'all, y'all don't even yeah. know. <clears throat> Yeah, man, it was. You need to get you like a high school coaching job, man, and work your way I'm up. I'm thinking about just just every year getting in more leagues, and then I'll just be my income. I'll just win all these fantasy football <laughs> leagues that are cash leagues. Oh my god! I'm just making industry out of it. Yeah, dude, people do it. Yeah, that's true. I'm telling you that, or sports look for me betting. to be on NFL Network you, as you a fantasy it, football You're expert. You're in the perfect guys. place. <laughs> <laughs> Next year, I'll be up there with Michael Fabiano awesome. or whatever those guys are. <laughs> I wouldn't doubt it, man. Sky's the limit yeah. out there. How do you think uh, Israel Keys would feel about us getting uh, so bored with his crime spree that we're talking about fantasy football instead of him? I think that would be the ultimate slight. Oh, man. He's like, <laughs> get back on track, guys. You're supposed to talk about my killings. <laughs> He's all Dude, butthurt. He definitely is. He'd be so, he'd be so whiny. <laughs> but the truth is, man, after I watched that, I watched the documentary that um, the lady that wrote the book, Maureen Callahan, was in. They interviewed her a lot uh-huh. in it. And uh, there's a documentary on YouTube. And when I got done watching it, I thought I missed something. I was like, did I fall asleep? <laughs> or, I mean, you know, I was I was probably in a different state about done for the night. But I was like, I think I missed something. I was like, why is he? I just wasn't convinced. And then I kept reading stuff and I kept looking into it. And then I went over the timeline this morning. And I'm like, nah, I think I got all the facts. I'm just not impressed with him, man. Just not. I'm just not. All right. Well, let's 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 keep so, going. You got that to deal with. So I'm gonna have this kind of attitude right. for the rest of the That's show. That's fine. I, I like that you. I, I like these cases where you're on the opposite end. You're skeptical about the killer or whatever. And I'm yeah. like, I think it goes. Good I think it goes better with my voice today too. Yeah. I just like it's, my voice. Just sounds like I don't have the patience for this shit. <laughs> you know. 
right. It's perfect. All right. So, uh, <laughs> so we mentioned he was born in Cove, Utah, a really tiny town. His parents had met in Los Angeles. They both had been outcasts. Um, his mother, Heidi Hawkinson, had been adopted by by a late in life couple, and she was their only child. So she had like a, she was a boring kid. Um, she was raised by a boring older couple. Um, she was a loner. She was mature for her age. She liked to sit around and read rather than go out yeah. with her friends and everything. And the guy that she ends up meeting, Jeff Keys, was much the same way. Um, both of the parents were Mormons, and they wed at 21 and 22 years old. Um, Jeff and Heidi Keys were both infatuated with nature and decided to move to Utah for that reason. So they they, they That's were a great reason. loner kids that ended up meeting, falling mm-hmm. in love, and they both wanted seclusion with their lives. They were just in love with nature and they wanted to live basically on the top of a mountain somewhere alone and, and have a shitload Dude, of kids don't we all? to basically do all their labor. Like <laughs> that's the real fucking American dream right there. Just living you out know, in the middle. I don't think, what I, don't th- I think, I think you're actually in the minority there. Mo- all of my friends think I'm crazy for oh. moving to the mountains. Oh shit. My bad. <laughs> no, my American dream would be like, uh, to live out well about where I live now, but be completely self sufficient, you know, right. like have a workable garden, collect rainwater. I collected 250 gallons of rainwater in one day, Lauren. What one freaking day? I only sectioned off a part of my roof that I was collecting it off of, and I set up one of those huge cubes 250 gallon cubes. You know, what I'm talking yeah. about like the they come they, chemicals and shit come uh-huh. in. I got one of those, cleaned it out real good, ran a gutter from my. <clears throat> down from my gutters from my downspout into the uh cube and just filtered it with screens yeah dude it filled it up in one day so what you it rained you garden with that or what three quarters yeah you can use it during droughts or whatever all right the only problem is my garden is uphill from where i got it so i'm gonna have to get a pump aren't you (laughs) i didn't think about that i was like are you guys not on wells out there anyway so you're getting like groundwater right so yeah yeah what's the difference the water would have rained gone under the ground and then ended up in the in the the uh, the bed of water underneath there, and then you guys would have pumped it out. It's the same shit, man. You're doing a lot of work for nothing. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. You know, sometimes it doesn't. It's rain not like you're in Vegas anymore, where we have to dam off the Colorado River and shit, and clean that water and pump it up and all that. That's true, but all the water that hits doesn't get into your uh, well. You know, it's only a, it's only a certain radius, I would think. Yeah, we really got to stay on track. I know, man. It's your fault. I think it's my fault. You started talking about rainwater. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was talking about being self-sufficient, like uh, Israel Keys. We can't, we can't have a case start talking okay. about nature. We'll go, we'll go off. We're hippies like that. Yeah, we gotta quit doing that. And you're, you're already talking about this. Is probably gonna be like a two-hour episode. Yeah. We gotta get going, man. We got football to watch today. That's true. But my fantasy football season's over, so you know the, the Niners play tonight against the Seahawks. It's the biggest game of the oh, year yeah, for us. Time. It's the first seed is on the line. This game is everything. Beast mode is back, so I'm, I'm gearing up for tonight's games. I'm not too worried about the early games. Hell yeah, I'm going to be watching that. Oh, my God. I'm already nervous, but you know what? Beast mode's fucking <laughs> – goddamn Marshawn Lynch, 33 years old. He's been out of football for a year. If he has, I'm, I'm calling it now. He's not having a big game, people, and you, by the time you hear this, you're going to know the result. So I may look like an idiot, yeah. but he's not having a beast quake run again, Seattle people. Suck it. No, not that 49ers defense. I don't think no. so. Okay, so Jeff and Heidi Keys, they, they both love nature. They moved to Utah for that reason. Um, and their first child, so they were they were living in L.A., so that was a big change to move to a small town in Utah and they right. start living uh, off the land and all that. Their first child was a girl named America. They had very interesting names for their kids. They were very religious, as we mentioned. They were Mormon, and they were very staunch Mormons. 
for the time being until they right. got into other religions and cults. And it was an interesting upbringing for Israel. Um, so they would go on to have eight ch- more children after America. Every child was birthed at home because the Keys, uh, Keys couple did not believe in modern medicine or hospitals. Mainly Jeff, the the father, he was afraid of hospitals. He didn't believe in modern medicine. And so therefore Heidi had to have all the kids at, ho- at home with no pain meds or anything. That must have been a lot of fun. Yeah, really. I got a quick question. Yeah. Uh, were all their kids named after countries? I don't think all of them. Um, okay. But Because, uh, I mean, I think with eight, I mean, there's plenty of countries to choose that's from. That's true. But when you're talking about Christian countries, which is obviously what they're going for here right. with America and Israel, mm-hmm. um, hmm, I'm just curious. I mean, they had eight kids. Like, they, are they going to name the first one a country and then the what? Where, where was he at in this? I think he was, was he the, the second. Youngest? I think it was America, oh, and then second. him, and then, and then Israel. More. Oh, they're ranking the Christian countries in their eyes. I see what they're. <laughs> where would where would the ninth oh one be, Michael? God. You know this shit more than me. Oh, oh man, I don't know all the countries that are. I mean, I don't think there's a whole lot of other maybe like Spain. Not only that, we could we could get ourselves in trouble with our uh, with our yeah. international listeners if we start ranking countries like that. We're we're totally kidding about that. Yeah, that's definitely not a thing we're trying to get. Yeah, you just said America's better than Israel, bro. (laughs) That's what they did. They named their first child America. I'm just guessing. I'm just guessing. Knowing knowing how they were, you know what I mean? Yeah, being their racist religious selves. Oh yeah, they 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 were they 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 went into some racist paths here coming up soon in this story. Um, Yeah, kind of Ruby Ridge. It is. Yeah, none of they did move to the top of a fucking mountain too. Just like Ruby Ridge. None of the nine children would be vaccinated, have social security numbers, or attend school, public school, that is. Uh, Which one of, when one of their neighbors in Utah reported the family's strange behavior to authorities, the Keys moved again, this time to Washington State, uh, to an even more secluded area. They purchased 160 acres on top of a mountain in Colville, Washington. There were no neighbors to complain this time. So they were basically completely isolated up there, and the father, Jeff, would drive down three miles to be a handyman to fix, like, appliances and shit, and that's where they got their little bit of money. And he was building homes from scratch. He would cut the logs himself and do every bit of labor. It would take years <laughs> to build these houses. And what was frustrating that's for the family though. is... That part is... Dude, that, that was so frustrating for me in the book. Like, Israel did have a miserable fucking upbringing. I'm not going to lie. This whole family, like, all the kids... It, the, their parents' beliefs were so strong that they, they made their kids basically suffer through a miserable childhood. They were living like it was the 1600s or something. Like they were living on right. this land, and the father would build like really nice homes from like scratch and for other people. And then they were still living like in a fucking tent. They lived in a tent for like seven years. You know, they had no running yeah. water, no nothing. And they, they didn't have, they weren't allowed to have friends most of their childhood. Um, and first, I mean, they were so far away from everybody, it would have been hard to have friends anyway. Right. Um, so, yeah, it was brutal. That's what they wanted. They wanted their kids isolated like that. I mean, you got your own little army. I mean, there's eight kids. There's ten of y'all yep. up there just living the way you want. I mean, that's that's power. Power in numbers, man. Yeah. So Israel, the second oldest, was four years old when the family moved to Washington and lived for seven years in a one-bedroom cabin with no heat, plumbing, or electricity. Um, and I think before that cabin was built, they were living in a tent too, by the way. But a one-bedroom cabin with fucking eight children. Unbelievable. That is insane. insane. Um, they attended the Ark 
a Christian identity church which is known for racist and anti-Semitic views. During that time, the Keyes family was friends and neighbors, so they did have a couple of friends, the Kehoe family. And if you know some oh. true crime, uh, Chevy and, che- and Cheyenne Kehoe were known racists who later were convicted of murder and attempted murder and may or may not have been uh, oh. linked to the to um, the Oklahoma City bomber, too, supposedly. Oh, great. So, yeah, good company. Yeah, I mean, right. Yeah, I, I feel like these people would hang out. I could see them at a barbecue. Right. You know? <laughs> <clears throat> oh, God. Jeff was working as an appliance repairman, yeah. as I had mentioned, um, while he was building the family a home from scratch on his own, even chopping down the trees himself. The Keys children were looked at as assets, um, a.k.a. free labor, they had little social interaction, no TV, radio, computer, or telephone. During his childhood years, uh, Israel would walk around with a, with a pistol everywhere he went. At the age of 14, his grandfather gave him a 38 caliber revolver, which he outfitted with his first homemade silencer. This is something that he continued yeah. all the way through his crime spree and everything, was building guns. He liked to basically build them, his like build homemade silencers and all kinds of parts mm-hmm. for guns, and he was really into that. Interesting. This this too reminded me of Ruby Ridge. Remember when oh, yeah. he was describing this, that's how they this got, childhood? That's how like, they got the attention from the ATF son. and everything, right? Because they had a, an illegal that's weapon right. or something. Yeah. Well, his son was walking around with that rifle and then the dog. Right. You remember that? Where's, and the undercover oh, agent convinced him to yeah. saw off the shotgun. That's what it was. Yeah. 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 Anyways. Um, Israel and a friend also had a habit of breaking into houses and burglarizing them. Keys also began killing animals. Um, there was a story where he and another kid and his sister, I believe, were out in the woods, and the, he had told his sister because his sister had a cat, and the cat kept what was it? The cat kept getting in the trash. Um, the cat, yeah. and, he, and he told his sister, "If that cat gets in that trash one more time, I'm killing it." Of course, the cat got in the trash again, and he of grabbed course, the cat, and wandered off into the woods. His sister and this other boy from the neighborhood watched as uh, he. I think he tied the cat to a ro- like around its neck to a, uh, to a tree with a rope and then shot the cat in the stomach with his gun. And the cat like ran around the tree and he was laughing like he thought it was hilarious, this cat suffering. And it was so disgusting to the other two, the, other, the boy that watched like vomited and no one would uh, go back out in the woods with Israel anymore after that. So. Oh, God, rightfully so. Right. So, yeah, Israel took it too far, man. A little bit. What was it? Uh, the other case we just did uh, went a little overboard. Uh, he went kind of overboard. overboard. Kind of overboard. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Between 1995 and 1997, Israel began working in a seven-man crew for a construction company doing custom work for customers with needs beyond construction. So this is where he gets his skills to later have his own contracting company. His he starts doing construction. He was for a while there. He was helping his dad build. Um, he actually did help his dad build cabins or whatever, and he ended up building his own cabin as a teen, like a late teen, and uh, not far from his parents' house and moved to it. Against his mom's wishes, he moved into the cabin that he had built for himself, and she didn't think he was ready to be on his own yet. Um, Everybody else was probably like, good riddance, get the the fuck out of here, you weirdo. Oh, my God, yeah, you cat-killing motherfucker. And that just gave him all more time to sit out in the woods and observe he was really into that sitting out in the woods and observing he loved the idea of someone else being out in the woods and not knowing he was watching them and the fact that he could kill them if he wanted to i think that's a big part of it but i think another part of the whole like trying to separate himself 
came when he he started to doubt his religious beliefs. Yeah. Because I think he was kind of the only one in the family that was kind of like, eh, I don't believe in any of this shit. Yeah, no. That, and I think that's why he was, you know, willing to take it as far as he did with, you know, with the cat and with just probably the way he had, that's just stuff that we know about. You right. know what I mean? I'm sure even as a kid growing up, he probably done some. Oh, he was definitely torturing. Things. And he was the oldest could, boy, too. He was definitely torturing any animals he could catch out in the woods, for sure. Like if you were the poor squirrel yeah. that he trapped or something, you know, or the deer that he maimed or whatever, like he's just sick. So I'm sure he was torturing all kinds of shit out in the woods. And that's that's what he would do once he built his own cabin is spend more and more time out there killing. He said he would kill anything with a heartbeat. That's is what that was what he was into. He was a stalker and a hunter by nature, and a little bit like Robert Hansen in that way, where he wanted he really wanted to stalk anything and everything with a heartbeat. And more thrilling would be humans. And there was actually an instance where in the same area that he was living, a small area, a young girl went missing and was found dead. Um, and this would have been around the time that he was doing this stuff and living in the area. Julie Harris was a 12-year-old girl, a w- double amputee who had been a, a that had become a Special Olympics champion. She, of course, lived in Colville, Colville, the small town where the Keys family lived, just outside of. And sometime in 1996, little Julie Harris went missing, and many suspected she had run away from home. According to reports from her mother's live-in boyfriend, her prosthetic legs would later be found in a nearby riverbed which turned the investigation from her disappearance to her murder. While many have long suspected her mother's volatile boyfriend to be the main suspect, the proximity to Keyes and his origins cannot be overlooked. It was around this time that Israel came of age and left the Colville area behind. So this could have easily been his first murder, um, and he later says that he would never harm children, but that was after he had his daughter much later that he took took upon that stance of not harming children. And oftentimes, serial offenders, they start with children because they're easier, and this would have been a perfect target. Someone, A young girl who was a double amputee, um, although she was an athlete and, and competed in stuff, you know, like uh, he was uh, 17, 18, something like that at that point. And it right. would have been, you know, not too hard for him to overpower a 12-year-old girl who was a double amputee. And it would have been, she would have been out in the woods alone, and it would have been an easy target for him to commit his first murder. And... Uh, when asked about it later, he wouldn't admit it, but it's possible. You know, they, these are the links that the cops start to make later on. It's like it could, he could have done this one, he could have done that one. Unfortunately, he didn't stick around long enough to, and they didn't have the evidence to put in his face to get him to cop to it. So, right. But didn't the reports of her running away come from the from the boyfriend? That's kind of suspicious as well. Yeah, like he's going around telling everybody that she's running away. Like, why is he so quick to jump to that? Yeah, that is odd. I would be, um, I'd be like searching for her, you mm-hmm. know. I wouldn't even be saying anything. Right. I would just be trying to find mm-hmm. her if she, but, I, and it's not his child. Yeah. Mm. I don't know. And he, and what's weird is that he was really into, uh, he was the type of dude that would keep news clippings and stuff of people's disappearances, uh, missing persons and all that stuff, even ones he didn't, he couldn't have possibly been linked to because they were too far away. He wasn't in that area, whatever. Right. He was just into that shit. But he did follow a lot of true Exactly. Crime, which would help my Ted Bundy was his bit. hero, and, and he was into that shit. And being in Colville, Colville, such a small area, this missing, per, this girl going missing and her legs being found and stuff is, it was the biggest story that had happened in Colville, probably still is. You know, and so like for him, when he was asked about it later by, later by police, he was like, oh, I, "I vaguely remember something like that." It's like 
I, I feel like he would have fucking known every detail about it, you know? And so it's a little, it's well, a little fishy I don't know. to me. If that he was 17, 18, your world is all about you. You don't really remember. And a he lot was of shit. living out in the middle of the woods, spending on. all his time out in the middle of the woods yeah. and all that shit. So maybe he just didn't get to be in the time. That's right. That's right. I doubt he had Wi Fi out there. Right. <laughs> Uh, later in the 1990s, the family moved to Smyrna, Maine, where they became involved in the maple syrup business. It is here that he rejected <laughs> his parents' faith and openly declared himself as an oh, atheist. Okay. As a result, he was kicked out of the so house. So here. So he's out on his own again. He's this kicked is, out. This was already been in process. His, his mom just, well, his parents, but, in, but really his mom was really susceptible to cult leaders and shit like that. And she kept kind of switching religions switching beliefs and it seemed like they were more uh they they were uh, more intense and more extreme each time you know they 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 went right. from mormonism to to like the white supremacists and it, it was just kind of like every time they moved they would find a new faith so i think he had had enough of it and that was part of why he went atheist it's just like you don't even know what you believe mom so she was kind of a hypocrite in that dude, way dude that's yeah that's sometimes that's all it takes is just look into some other religions, mm-hmm. like just look into some other ones and you'll, you'll see a lot of similarities. Yeah. You know, and I think he was kind of getting frustrated, but I think this whole divide was, like I said earlier, was starting back when he wanted to get out of the house. I think he just didn't have the balls to be like, okay, this is, this is enough until she probably incorporated some stupid religious tradition from her newest fling. Mm-hmm. And he was like, oh, I'm not, I'm not doing this. Right. You know, and he was 18 too. Now. Yeah. Yeah. And so also at around the time he was 18, Israel moved again and entered another part of the Pacific Northwest. So he just went from Maine or he went from Washington state to Maine to back to back to the Pacific Northwest and moved to an area nearby Maupin, Oregon. I don't know if I pronounced that night that properly Maupin, Maupin, Um, an area well renowned for its outdoor activities. Two hours east of Portland, Maupin is a population of just a few hundred. And again, it's considered a very small town by most in, in every single metric. So he moves to another small town up in the Northwest. Um, yeah. A few hundred people. That's a yeah, small town's an understatement. Yeah. That's been like, is a serial killer's dream, the Pacific Northwest, isn't it? Is it? Yeah, I guess it is. Freaking Ted Bundy, Ridgeway. You don't want to be making waves in those little towns. I wonder if that had something to do with it because he, he really did. He was obsessed with Ted Bundy, supposedly. It could just be all the damn forestry. Well, yeah, he was and, also uh, obsessed with nature. The exclusion mm-hmm. and stuff out there. Um, so I mean, you get get the same thing in Maine and upstate New York and stuff too, though. But, yeah, yeah, that's true. Know. That's true. There's a lot of woods up there too. Uh, so now, according to his own account, his first serious crime occurs now. This is the one, the first one that he cops to. Sometime between 1996 and 1998, Keys claimed to have abducted a teen girl in a late afternoon. On the, uh, on the evening of the Deschutes River, she was tubing with her friends when the abduction, abduction occurred. So I guess they were hiking, they were walking down this trail. They'd been tubing that day, and she was the straggler. She was kind of like, she had gotten further behind her friends, and he was waiting in the woods and right. like ran out and snatched her. He took her to a park bathroom um, nearby where he had snatched her and uh, basically uh, raped her in there. And he said that she said all the right things as far as like, she was flattering to him and saying, I would date you if, uh, I would, I would, I don't know why you need, you don't need to do this. You're the type of guy that I would, I would date. You're not bad looking this and that. And like, it kind of played to his ego and he, he was going to kill her. And he picked this location because this park bathroom 
had a like a sewage tank below it or whatever with an opening where he was going to put her body in there and he figured she wouldn't be found for weeks if not months in there right but she said i guess she said all the right things and uh, convinced him to set her free and she never went to the authorities because it was never this crime was never reported but the only reason we know about it is because he admitted to it and told the story to the police later mm. so crazy <clears throat> Following uh, his stint living in Oregon, Israel Keys enlisted in the United States Army. Yet another one, <laughs> yet another serial killer uh, or case that we study military. where the person was in the military for a time. <laughs> During his time in the U.S. Yeah. Army, he reached the rank of specialist and was given three different duty stations, Fort Hood in Texas, some, somewhere overseas in Egypt, and Fort Lewis, located in western Washington. He spent a large chunk of his enlisted time in Fort Lewis, located nearby Tacoma, Washington. Um, he was largely an outcast yet again among the ranks in the army. Um, this is where he began drinking. He had never had like any kind of, uh, drug or alcohol before this. Obviously he was, I feel like he was probably, he was probably that recruit that took it way too far. Oh no. He was the dream soldier camp. Like he's, he's yelling at everybody. He was the dream soldier. It's like, shut the fuck up, man. You're here with me. Yeah. No, no doubt. You're a hundred percent right. We're in this together. He was that, he was that guy. I mean, he was, when they talked to the his leaders in the military later, when when like the FBI and shit came to them, they they thought that they were coming to to this this general or whatever to like talk about it. When they when they when he heard uh, them asking about Israel, he was just like, "Oh, I figured you were coming to talk to me because he was now like up for a promotion in the FBI or something." Like he, you know, the the people in the military were assuming that it was good, not bad, because he was that good of a. Right, a soldier or whatever, because of course he would. <laughs> you know, he's that guy, like you said, that takes everything too serious. He he's a fucking tryhard. That's right. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, there he did make like one or one or two friends in the military that took him to his first concert and stuff like that, and and got him into drinking and and uh, he he tried a couple of drugs. He didn't really like drugs because they made him feel out of control. But apparently, alcohol he loved. And that would be right. later he would have quite a drinking problem while living in Alaska. Um, he's, hmm. I mean, what else is to do up there, you know? Yeah. In okay. Alaska, yeah. There's a lot of alone time. But then again, he spent a lot of time alone without alcohol growing up. So That's right. Yeah. Uh, Keyes was honorably discharged in 2001. Following his discharge from the United States Army in 2001, Keyes would move to Nia Bay, a small community right on the north, northwestern tip of Washington State. Nia Bay was comprised of a predominantly Native American population. Israel would have stuck out like a sore thumb, but he soon found himself becoming a productive citizen of Nia Bay. So I guess he he experienced some uh, some um, actually some like racist stuff while there because he was like the only white guy, you know, a bunch of bunch of Native Americans. Yeah. And at first he was an outcast yet again, but he actually just stayed quiet and and like helped. He was a, a handyman there and would help a lot of people. And so they actually he grew to like in. him a lot. Or we, yeah, he could blend in if he wanted to. Oh yeah, well I mean he was just I think he was a typical sociopath. He could tell people what they wanted to hear yep. or show them what they wanted. Right. Um and he met a met a girl in Nia Bay, a Native American girl, and they they got real serious. Um it, it, I guess when they first met she she didn't like him at all and then they had a lot in common, I guess, because she had very strict parents growing up and she was had a very similar upbringing where uh, she was without like him, you know, they're very poor families growing up. And right. like she, she basically got ridiculed for, um, uh, her odor because she barely ever got to wash herself and stuff like that growing up. And so like they, they hit it off in that sense and like their terrible upbringings. 
and right. uh, they would end up having a child together. Uh, that's that's his daughter that we've brought up a couple times, um, and so many of his fellow and supposedly changed his mindset on killing kids. Right. Supposedly. Yeah. Exactly. Many of his fellow Nia Bay residents never recalled anything suspicious about him seeing him as just another capable member of society that he would go on to fix just about anything and who seemed to be a likable guy and never remembered him having a good sense of humor. Um, so he was good at being likable to strangers, and that's another thing when he was in uh, Alaska and he had his handyman job or his, uh, his contracting business, uh, the reviews that he got... I don't know if it was Yelp or what, but they were all glowing reviews about how much they trusted him, and he seemed like a good guy, and he did good work, and this and that. So, I think uh, sociopath yeah. for sure. It was just people people he killed. It was their Facebook accounts he hacked, and then just left reviews. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Those just those like same people that left reviews somehow came up missing right before the review. It's kind of odd. Right. It's so weird. Yeah. 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 <laughs> So as we mentioned, shortly after moving to Nia Bay, Israel himself had a girlfriend, a great role in society, and shortly after, a daughter. While being a father didn't deter Israel from committing any of his future heinous crimes, it did deter him from targeting children, according to his own words. He would later go on to make a point to target victims that didn't have any children present, which we can surmise as being part of his criminal code. Keyes would go on to admit to murdering his first victim at some point between July or October of 2001, we do not know the identity or location of the victim, but it was, this is when the FBI believes Israel began his killing spree was uh, around October of 2001. Um, that's if you don't. That's okay. if you're not believing that you know maybe he killed the the young 14 year old double amputee girl or anyone right. else. Um, Keys would admit to killing one victim in the second half of 2001, but the next few years are almost a total mystery. Not only. Uh, to the people who knew Keyes, but the FBI investigators that have spent months and years trying to retrace his footsteps. Between 01 and 05, Keyes killed a couple in Washington State, but would, he would refuse to give up any details. So he admitted to killing a couple then, but very vague. You know, right. kind of like, if you get the, if you can get some uh, evidence to present to me, I'll admit to it. But otherwise, why would I give it to you? Because he was trying to hold this over, right. to, over them. Uh, for Why even reasons. say it? I mean, oh, I guess maybe he's trying to give them a hint. He's like, here, here's a bone. Go look over here. Right. I guess. I, I don't know. Um, like, why even say it in the first place is what I can't, I can't gather. Yeah. Um, <laughs> investigators couldn't even be sure the couple were, were Washington State residents or whether he had abducted them and driven them into Washington, which is something that he was known to do. Their identities would have never been discovered, and there's no evidence that Keyes committed these murders other than his word, which is bullshit. In the interviews that Keyes would give investigators, he would imply that this couple was buried in or nearby a valley. That's pretty detailed, dude. Like, in, in or around a valley. Good luck. Right. <laughs> investigators also surmised... Yeah, that's what I'm saying. He don't know. He doesn't even know, right? <laughs> All right, he don't know. Based on his later crimes, he had taken the car belonging to the couple and driven at a good dis distance away from the scene to separate the two and make their bodies almost un unrecoverable. Keyes would go on to admit years later that his main way of finding victims was to let them come to him. He would prefer to find them in public parks, campsites, hiking trails, the sort of places where people might naturally go missing. That, to me, was the part that scared me about him, is that the randomness and the fact that, like, you know, how could you... After really studying this case, knowing there's people like that, it's, it makes it a little harder to just feel like, really enjoy being alone in nature because you just feel like maybe you're being watched. 
Oh, I've absolutely. always wondered that. You know, when I'm like hiking, I'm absolutely. like, is there? There could easily be someone sitting up on a hillside behind a bush just watching me right now. There could be. You know, most most likely yeah. there's not, but there could be. Yeah, absolutely. There definitely could be. I mean, it'd be it'd be really strange out where you live, but like where I live, I have walking trails that are, you know, maybe half mile out in the woods. Mm. And when I take my trail out there, sometimes I can see people walking because I can hear them first, especially in the fall when all the leaves are gone. Mm. You can hear them. And then you look in that direction, and yeah, I can see people like walking in the woods. And that's them I'm walking over here on my trail, and they have no idea I'm there. Right. They have no, that's them no not clue. trying to be quiet. That's them just walking along, and and they were on that's you right. before you even realized it. And you're like, oh, there's people. There. That's yeah, yeah. So if they were sitting back I mean, I trying to be quiet, they observing. couldn't see me. But <clears throat> but what I'm saying is, I wasn't even trying to be quiet and observe, and I easily could have gotten the drop on them. You see what yeah, I'm saying? Exactly. Or vice versa. I mean, it's just. Yeah, or vice versa. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Um, Keys would admit that he used his own boat to dispose of these victims, but only would it would only admit where one of the bodies had been submerged deep beneath the surface of Crescent Lake, right on the border of Scenic Olympic uh, National Park, and just an hour east of his home in Nia Bay. He, so this is when he's with the girl in Nia Bay with a daughter. Supposedly he was he had killed this woman and put her down at the bottom of this lake. Uh, he lightly poked at the notion that the bodies were submerged under hundreds of feet as deep as the lake itself can get, but no bodies have been recovered from Crescent Lake up until now. Uh, we can't. Yeah, apparently that lake can get up to like 700 feet deep. Yeah, supposedly. Yeah, and 500 to 700 feet. Yeah, that, now that's very plausible considering the, his the victim that got him caught was a very similar situation. You know, he waded down parts of the body into a lake. Right. Um, we can't tell whether this is a story of fabrication of Keys or a self-assured testimony of his evil, but Keys wasn't the sort of criminal who liked misdeeds to be well known. It is likely that Keys created these stories to simply gain clout, but it's more likely that these crimes were just the tip of the iceberg for him. That's where, you know, there's two there's two beliefs uh, when it comes to Keys. You know, there's the Michael side or there's, yeah. there's the side like me where I think he's, I think he did commit a lot of crimes and uh i think he, it's very yeah. i think it's most likely he did kill at least 11 whereas michael thinks he's mostly full of shit i think he probably killed two or three you're you see maybe maybe three because of the couple but but the only reason that makes me think about the couple um the couriers is because of the detail, but I mean, someone as smart as him and as someone that studies crime constantly could easily make up those details. I mean, Drano and trash bags, like, come on, bro. Like anybody to make up that shit. Right. That's, I don't know. But with the girl that he got caught and he had her debit card and shit. Yeah. He killed yeah. her. That's fucked up. I mean, he deserves what he got, but well, he deserves worse. He didn't deserve to choose when, his, right. when he came out, but. Yeah. So in the first week of March 2007, Israel uh, Israel Keys relocated yet again, and this came off the back of the relationship he was in with the woman in uh, in Nia Bay or Mia Bay uh, had gone mm -hmm. had gone sour. Um, she had uh, she had gotten a, a substance abuse problem. She was addicted to pain to pain pills to the point where he was basically like a uh, only father of the daughter that they had. He had to take care of the daughter all the time because she was always incapacitated. She was always so high on pills that she couldn't take care of the daughter. Um, right. And it got to the point where he'd actually got on a dating site and met another woman. Um, they hit it off. She was older, a lot different than the girl he was with. 
at the time. Um, she was older and accomplished, and uh, they started seeing each other. And uh, they had, he had broken up with his with his baby mama, so to speak. And uh, basically, she went to rehab, cleaned up her life, and because uh, he he forced her to, because he took he took custody of the daughter. And then when she cleaned herself up and everything, he gave custody back to her of their daughter and decided he was going to move to Alaska uh, with this new girl that he met because she had gotten a job transfer to Alaska um, and he not he wanted a fresh start and moved to Alaska and he would eventually... So he gave up full custody of his daughter? He did, but he ends up with his daughter again because his daughter's living with him in Alaska at the time of his, okay. of his most recent murders when he's caught. His daughter's living again with him there. So it's a it's a complicated okay. situation. There's not a lot of details out there. The most details I got about that was the book, you know, the audio book. So I'm right. kind of going off the top of that's my head. That's why I was wondering that. where you were. That's why I'm asking. I haven't heard any details about this. Or I, I know the, the relationship changed, but I didn't know about the details with the custody of the daughter. Yeah. Because, man, if he just signed over custody to his daughter forever and then moved back to Alaska, I'm like, yeah, this, this dude did all this shit. Right. He's a fucking sociopath. Right. Well, the book described yeah, that situation I, I would totally and then... Flip. But somehow his daughter was living with him yet again in Alaska, so I don't okay. know what happened as far okay. as that goes. Um, All right. But in 07, he moves to Alaska um, in Anchorage. He establishes a business for himself named Keys Construction, which we've talked quite a bit about already. He began to use his talents as a right. tradesman to cement himself as a normal guy to the citizens in his new northern home. In October and November of 2008, Keys traveled from Alaska to a handful of states, including North Dakota, Arizona, and Washington, uh, it's unknown where he traveled or what he was up to during these trips. We only know the barest of details, and even then, those are scarce. Keys rented a car in Seattle on October 31st, 2008. The car be, being a PT Cruiser, where he traveled with his vehicle is anyone's guess. And he would he had family in Texas, so he would like use that as a reason to go on these long road trips to go down and see his family. But his behavior right. when he would go see his family in, in Texas was so odd. He would He would show up. And then he would disappear for a few days, and they'd be calling him, blowing up his phone, and then he'd show up muddy and have some stupid reasons for why he would, you know, he got stuck in the mud somewhere in this rental car or whatever. And so, like, he was definitely up to oh. shit, you know. And okay, you don't think he was off-roading in the PT cruiser? <laughs> you don't think that's a possibility? Maybe doing a little mud out there. If he was, he's dumber than we thought. Hey, getting those old fake wood panel doors a little dirty. Right. Hey, hey, man. <laughs> PT Cruiser, man. Oh, man. PT Cruisers. I remember those. Yeah. On November 2nd, three days after renting a car in Seattle, Keys flew out to of SeaTac Airport, headed for Boston, where he would stay for a total of three days. Needless to say, his activities during this time period are lost in time. Keys was a methodical planner, and this is logically where his plans began to plant himself in the ground, almost literally. And so Keys, I, this relationship he has with this woman in, in um, Alaska... It was it, it it quite quickly turned to where they were more kind of living together, but they were they they knew it was not going to work out long term. She didn't want kids. Well, he's probably on the road too much too. Yeah, I mean he's he's always doing his own thing. He wasn't spending much time with her, yeah. and also she didn't right. want kids, so she's in she's ended up living in this house with his daughter, and she's spending more time with his daughter than with him, and she never wanted kids, and so they, they, he knows it's going to come to an end. He's planning to move again and leave her um but mm -hmm. this she kind of lets him do whatever he wants he has this shed in the back that he's in spending when he is home he's spending a lot of time out there and then also he's always on the road going here and there 
And so that, right. that was part of his freedom that he had is he could, he owned his own business and then he would just, so he, he had his own schedule um, with work. And also he would just, he was in a relationship with a woman who really didn't care what he did at this point. And so he's going from here to exactly. there and he's committing these crimes and he has these caches of weapons. And this is something that, you know, he said to the police and you could be skeptical until they go and they actually found a few of these caches, so to speak. Um, these like barrels that he would bury in the middle of the woods in different states that were filled with right. different, uh, they were like kill kits. They were little kill kits. Yeah, little five-gallon kill kits. You know, you can pick them up at Lowe's. Which is something that was very unique to Israel Keys, and I've never heard of, in any of the cases we've studied, I've never heard of something like this. Like, you know, cash is being stored across the country. Um, which yeah, no, that did seem odd. I was like, why not just keep it? Well, I guess you don't want to keep it with you because it's smart. It, it, it is smart. It is smart. Hmm. In a sense, if you're trying to be a prolific, you know, serial offender. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's. I guess that's something he probably learned from his old buddy Ted Bundy, because Ted Ted traveled with everything. Because didn't they find yeah. the gloves and bloody crowbars and <laughs> yeah. shit in his car? Yeah, in the <laughs> he bug. Did, he took that in the back seat. Was him. always yeah, removed. Rookie mistake, man. Should have buried that stuff in a bucket. Right. Keyes was a methodical planner, and his, uh, this is logically where his plans began to plant themselves. Um, Deborah Feldman was a resident of New Jersey, would go missing just days afterwards after he was in the area. Um, she was known by all in her life to be uh, have a serious issue with drugs and alcohol, and even her family wouldn't have been surprised to find out she had likely been moonlighting as a sex worker before her disappearance. To this date, her fate and whereabouts were remain unknown, but her son hasn't forgotten about his missing mother. They have linked this disappearance of Deborah Feldman, not only t through happenstance, but by near admission of Keys, while being interrogated by the FBI, Keys was shown photos of many of the missing men and women from the states he had visited in the hopes that he would identify some just to bring the family's closure. He gestured no to most of the photos, but when he was shown a picture of Deborah Feldman, he paused. His response to the photo may have been the only closure to the family of Deborah Feldman that they will ever receive. Quote, he said, I'm not ready to talk about her. Uh, before dropping the subject forever. So quite likely, I mean, it, it links, it matches up the timeline, him being there, and then his reaction to the photo. Just a day after the disappearance yeah. of Deborah Feldman on April 10th, 2009, Keyes began to expand his criminal activities wearing a fake mustache, a fake goatee, sunglasses, and a hooded Carhartt jacket. He walked into a community bank with a silver handgun and demanded money. A year passed, but Keyes gave no sign of slowing down. On July 9th, 2010, Keyes flew out from Anchorage to Sacramento, California, he then traveled from Sacramento to Auburn, California, where he rented a vehicle, a black Ford Focus, and traveled close to 280 miles over the next few days. Um, they can only guess what happened to the extent of his activities in California, but it's likely he may have buried another one of his murder kits or even committed a crime during his time there. So very hard to track his crimes, and that's Probably the both. way he wanted. You know, He was <laughs> traveling from different jurisdictions constantly, different states, and if he was committing crimes, if he was killing someone, he was going to kill them near where they were, travel, like travel, uh, move their car somewhere else, and then take their body to another state. So it, I don't know. I, I tend to believe he was he was doing... Yeah, that was part of his MO. He would take their car, Yeah, right? He did that a lot. He was, or at least so he said. It he would relocate their car somewhere else to where it's like their body's right. far away from their car. Their car's far away from their home. Um, and so it's just really hard to link all these things together. And then he's from a completely different, he may, you know, he may be living in Alaska and this might've happened in fucking 
Utah or Texas or New York, you know, like he's so far away. It's just really hard because you know how right. a homicide investigation starts. They start from the center, the people closest to the victim and work their way out. You know, they're not. Well, you know, with Deborah Feldman, I mean, that's a that's a check in the he probably did it column. The fact that he was living in Alaska and drove all the way to New Jersey. Right. To kill somebody. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like it's how just much so further abnormal. can you get? It's just so abnormal. Yeah. You know, police are they just they don't they tend to think and most murders are they're someone close to the victim. You know, they're not thinking serial killer in in 2010. You know, like to, uh, somebody drove from Alaska, like you said, to New York just to kill this person. You know, it just doesn't. That's so uncommon. You can't start your investigations with that mentality because you'll, you'll you'll you won't close any if you come in with that mentality. Well, what if this is a guy who come came into the area just to kill this girl and then randomly left? You know, yeah, you can't start like it's that. It's like, dude, is this your first day at the police right? department? What are, we, what are we doing here? Let's find some links. Yeah. Yeah, no, I got you. In April or May of 2011, Keyes visited a park near Point Warrensoff, located nearby his home in Anchorage. He had a rifle with him and fully intended to shoot at a couple he had spotted in the parking lot of the park. This is one of those moments where he's sitting in a secluded area in a hillside in some trees and watching someone, and they have no idea he's there. He's watching this couple, and he's got this silenced rifle, and he's fully planning to shoot them. Um, and however, when he's about to do it, a police officer showed up in the parking lot. Keys set his sights on the officer. He was then going to see this as an opportunity to kill a cop. He always wanted to kill cops. He still had some of those, uh, views from the, uh, Christian, uh, sect or whatever that, that, you know, were right. anti authority and all that. Um, right. So he only reframed when a second officer uh, was revealed to be there as well. So the cop had called for backup. I don't know what this couple was up to, um, but he was surprised to see the backup. I, I know, show right? Up. That's interesting. It's like, why did the other cops show up? Yeah. Just or maybe maybe they were checking on him. Maybe they were. Maybe they saw him better than he thought they did. Who knows? Or it's just uh, maybe it's it's Alaska and there's not much going on. <laughs> They're both cops. Both cops. Wait, where did this story do. come from? Is this just a story he told? Yeah, this is a story that he told because nothing happened. He again. Was, why tell this story? I don't know. This isn't. That's a good question because, I mean, he, there was plenty of stuff. If there was so much stuff that he did do that he could th- – this kind of leans to your side. Yeah, why tell near misses? I don't get yeah, it. Yeah, why tell – exactly. Why tell something that no- nothing happened? Why tell this story of almost killing a cop when you have so many yeah. murders you've done that you could tell? doesn't make any sense. Right, what are you trying to say? And why are you telling this to police now? Yeah. You know, I, I, I just don't get it. Yeah. Um, on June 2nd of 2011, Israel flew out of Anchorage. His flight arrived in Chicago, but he had his sights set, set further east. He rented a car at the Chicago airport. He then drove all the way east to Essex, Vermont. During this trip, he took the battery out of his cell phone so there would be no trace of his travels, and he paid his entire way in cash. Money had been saved up from the handyman businesses and also money he had left over from the robbers he had, robberies he had committed. Years beforehand, during one of his many trips east, Keyes had buried one of his murder kits in the woods outside of a house. This house belonged to Bill and Lorraine Courier, the old couple that was adored by all that knew them. Now, this I heard differently in the book than the, the, <clears throat> than in the crime line that I have here. Um, I, I th- the way he told it to the police, and it was recorded in the book that I read, was that he was in the area of Vermont and he was going to kill someone. He went to this apartment complex across from his hotel and was basically sitting there waiting for, 
you know, he wanted to kill a man, he said that night. And he sees this Volkswagen pull into the parking lot. It's raining. And he's sitting there and he's like, this is the guy. I'm going to kill this guy. He has no idea. And um, the guy parks and jumps out of his bug and like with something over his head to prevent from getting wet, ran to his apartment and shut the door. And before he could, he said that guy, that he had no idea he was about to die that night. He's lucky he got out so quick that I didn't have time to get it to him. And he was, I guess he was just going to shoot him right there in the parking lot. So he's a little Damn. frustrated and he goes back to his hotel and he decides that he wants to kill a couple instead. And so he starts out on foot and walks around through this neighborhood and spots a house that looks like an older couple lives there. I guess he like rifles through their car and finds that it is indeed like an older couple. He doesn't find any signs of children. He doesn't see a, see or hear a dog. That was another thing. He just didn't want to deal with dogs. And right. so it's like he decides this is the perfect house. He's going to kill this older couple. So he spots their house and he spots a window that has a fan in the window that's basically... Like he removed the fan and then he was able to go through the window. I think that it gained entry into the garage where he broke a window, pane on the door there, right. and unlocked the door, got into their house. And before he, before they knew it, he was on top of them in their bed, like restraining them, asked them if they had any weapons. She said that the, the wife, Lorraine Courier, said that she had a gun in the, uh, this, which this part like really shook me a bit because I keep, you know, a loaded gun by my bedside pretty much. For this reason. Right. But he was on him so fast. She did, it was literally in her nightstand next to her where she sleeps, loaded, ready to go. But he ended up with that gun instead of her, you know? Oof. So that's um, always he a then, uh, yeah. Yep. So he ties them up in their bed, uh, forces them into their own car in the garage, and drives, puts them in the back of the car and drives them to an abandoned farmhouse where he had. He had he would this is something he would do it was like from his house in Alaska he would look up like abandoned churches and abandoned uh, farmhouses and abandoned homes that were like secluded yeah. in different states like where he was planning on traveling to he's just okay he's just like sitting there on Google Maps looking at abandoned shit like that'd be cool to kill someone in there that's a good location and so he had found this this abandoned farmhouse and this is his plan all along was to abduct someone and take them to this farmhouse that he right. had found. Um, and so he, t he takes them in their own car to this, to this abandoned home where he led Bill into the basement and kept Lorraine upstairs. And this place is like dilapidated. It's been vacant for a long time. It has like a hole from the upstairs right. that you can see from the downstairs up into it. Um, he leaves her upstairs and, and brings Bill downstairs. Um, unfortunately, Keys had become uh, prepared for the fact that the husband would try to free himself to rescue his wife. And utilizing the murder kit that he had buried years prior, he shot and killed Bill in the basement. He shot him like a bunch of times because Bill was down there screaming and had gotten free. And when uh, Keys got down there to confront him, he was like standing there with not not tied up anymore. Right. And he shot Bill a bunch of times, and Bill was still standing supposedly after he had shot him like five times. And eventually, uh, sure. Bill succumbed man. to the the bullet wounds and died. Adrenaline, man. He's uh, trying to save his wife. Yeah, dude, it's so it's just so sad the way it the is. book portrayed this whole scene. He's down there yelling, "What are you doing to my wife?" You know, and then um, he la he then went up and uh, sexually assaulted Lorraine and, and ended up strangling her. Um, he took both of their bodies into the basement of the abandoned farmhouse where he covered them in trash bags and poured Drano all over the two, hoping that the bodies would become uh, seriously decomposed before anyone would find them. And he figured. Supposedly, what would happen is uh, is that this place would 
no one's going to buy this place and repair it. It's beyond repair. So whoever buys this property is going to demolish the house. Right. Is what he figured. And whatever smells down in the basement, they're, they're not going to go investigating. No, they're, they're going to think it's, it's a dead animal. Yeah, and just dead animals that have made houses in there and everything else. Yeah. Yeah. That was Which is, sadly, when the police hear about this tale that he tells and they go to the farmhouse, they discover exactly what he assumed would happen had happened. They, the house had been demolished. That the people that demolished it thought, that, you know, had had smelled something down there, but they assumed it was like a dead raccoon or something like that. Right. And uh, so the bodies, along with all the rubble from the home, would be at the dump. And they went looking through the dump. You know, it's like, but that that's like a needle in a haystack. You're never going to find the bodies in, in the dump. Right. It's, it, and, and you're talking badly the they, decomposed by now as well. Yeah. Yeah. In trash bags, right? You, you're going through. You're basically so you're trying to find a stinky trash bag at the dump. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And was yeah. that's probably so, just bones at this point. I mean, if depending on how much Drano he used, ugh. Mm-hmm. that's just. And so this is the one you were skeptical about this because you <laughs> said that he easily could have made up these details. Yeah. Well, you added some. Okay. Yeah. You definitely added. Some. <laughs> I added some more details. You added a lot yeah. of details. Like the, the fact that it was, uh, um, I didn't realize that he took them, that he left them at the farmhouse. I guess I misread the information. I thought that he left them at their own house. Right. But he left them at the farmhouse. That makes, it makes a little more sense, but he could have also just looked up how, like old houses and just kept those in mind. It was like, yeah, it was going to happen there. Yep. And then he already read an oh, no, article police... that it was going to be demolished. You know what I'm saying? And then yep. it could have smelt bad anyways. And, and that's more links that police were able to make is they, when they went through his computer, that was, that was something that they hit him with is like, we, we've got the stuff from your computer. He said he wanted to, to destroy that right. laptop or whatever. Cause he had so much information on there. Uh-huh. And uh, a lot of the information he had was searches of all these different locations, you know, like the farmhouse where he killed them. I believe that was in the search history. Right. You know, so it's like stuff like that. It was just like, that's too much of a coincidence. Uh, what I don't remember from the book, and I don't know if they ever talked about it, is what happened with the car. You know, like that would be uh, a determining, like, for sure he did it if he was able to say the location of where he left their car. Where he left you their know? car. That's right. Exactly. Hmm. So I don't remember Probably at the what farm- happened with well, the car. No, he, he wouldn't able- have left it at the farmhouse. He would have took it somewhere. No, he wouldn't. He probably would have driven it really far away. But what my thing mm-hmm. is, like, what is he doing? Driving it far away and then taking a plane and then public transportation back to his car that he left in their state? Like, or is he just say fuck that car? Because he must have time he just rented cars anyways, right? Yeah. So he's probably like, yeah, just fuck that car. I'll just leave it out in the woods. Probably used a fake identity to get it anyways. Yep. Exactly. Okay. Um, in the week following the bill and the murder of Bill and Lorraine Courier, Israel traveled along the East Coast before returning to Chicago. In Chicago, he returned the rental car he now had driven oh, thousands of miles go. in. Yeah, so he would return these, these rental cars with the like, stupid usage of miles on them. They're, they're like, damn. Well, at least he returned driving. <laughs> right. <clears throat> he then flew to San Francisco. He would stay in the Bay Area for only a single night before flying back to Anchorage on June 16th. He had been gone only two weeks but the damage had been done. Uh, Bill and Lorraine Courier remain on, only two of three victims that can be absolutely attributed to Israel Keys, with the third yet to come. It was less than a year later that Israel would commit his most notorious act. He went It went against his normal M.O. and decided to strike close to home. Basically, he got cocky, and that's how serial killers get, ca- get yep. caught. We've said it time and time again. He got too confident because he'd been getting away with crimes like this for too long. 
and uh, decided to shit where he eats, and that's what gets you caught. Um, on eight, uh, 18-year-old Samantha Koenig was a popular high school senior known occasionally to skip class but was always responsible when it came to her job. She had a boyfriend of one year named Dwayne. Um, she lived at her single father's home with Dwayne as well, um, and she was reported Thursday, reported missing Thursday, February 2nd, 2012. She had been working a shift at the coffee kiosk, sitting on a snowdrift between a gym and a commonly traveled road in Anchorage. So it was a very, like, very popular parking lot. There was a big gym there. Right. So constant, constant people. You know, that's why you would put a coffee kiosk right there, because of the, the gym. Right. And so, um, but they would have these, these young girls work in this kiosk all night alone. And she'd only been there a month at this, you know, working at this kiosk. So, uh, basically like she's like a sitting duck to someone or to a predator like this late at night when the, when the gym would slow down, less people moving around right. when the heavily traveled road that's right next to it slows down in the middle of the night. Oh, he scoped this place um, out a few times. He sat in that parking lot he had, probably yeah. a few nights and watched the, the he had considered He had considered many kiosks like this. There was, I guess there was several of, of them around, and he had been eyeing them, and he just liked the look of this one a little bit more, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, she had no means of transportation to leave the kiosk. Her boyfriend had to pick her up later that night after her shift, so she was basically you know, stuck there. Phone records showed her texting her father and boyfriend before and after her disappearance. Um, surveillance footage, the police saw after she goes missing, um, surveillance footage of the kiosk was obtained, and you can actually see this on YouTube, see her be abducted. It's it's really horrifying because, like, you see the, this man walk from the, you know, across the parking lot mm-hmm. in all black, walk up to it, and he, at first he orders a coffee because I don't think, I think he's trying to, figure out how he's going to go about doing this mm-hmm. and Just uh, realizes everything. Yeah. I gave him some time to think. So she, she gets the coffee order. She starts making the coffee. And then when she returns with the coffee, you see her like put her hands up and back up. Cause at this point he's now got a gun pointed at her. Um, the whole ordeal lasted 17 minutes. He was like standing outside of the kiosk for seven minutes, I believe. God. And then he was inside. He went through the window into the kiosk for 10 minutes. He had her turn off the lights Inside the kiosk, he tied her up and basically walked off with her through the parking lot. Kind of acted like he was uh, helping her Dude, walk, almost minutes. like she was drunk or what something. What did they do for seventeen minutes? minutes? That's a that must have felt like an eternity for her. The balls to do that, right? Because anybody could, in that seventeen minutes. minutes could have come out of the gym and wanted to get a coffee or whatever. Right, but I guess because the lights were off and no cars were around, because even her vehicle wouldn't have been there, so maybe they thought it right. was uh, it was vacant, closed for closed, whatever yeah. reason. Yeah. Um, Once Samantha was detained in his truck, Israel returned to the coffee stand to get Samantha's cell phone. He viewed her cell phone as a a vital part of this plan, as he then used it to send two messages, one to her boss and then uh, the other to her boyfriend. And in these texts, he was trying to basically distance her from them, trying to act like she was upset at at the boyfriend, which they had been fighting that day, actually, which coincidentally, which which worked in his favor. Mm -hmm. In the message, he stated that Samantha had a bad day at work and needed to get away for a few days. He took the phone with him, but removed the battery. So he basically tried to lead the boyfriend to believe that she was staying with some friends, that she was pissed off at him, she had a bad day, and she didn't want to see him. Um, And he removed the battery from, from the phone so the police wouldn't be able to trace him. Despite the fact that he likely had plenty of money, Keys demanded Samantha Koenig's debit card, which she informed him was in the truck that she shared with her boyfriend. So he then, another ballsy move, drives to the Koenig uh, home where he locked, 
where he locked her in a shed. So he takes her to his house, to that shed I mentioned earlier right. that was on in his backyard or whatever that uh, his girlfriend never went in because he, she had apparently found him growing pot in there at one point, and she was really against that, and so she never went back in there. She figured <laughs> that was what he was doing out there was growing pot. Right. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And so it is very uh, – who was the, the, shoe, the shoe fetish strangler? Jerry Brudos. It yeah. reminds me a bit of him. You know, remember how he had his little creepy man shed back there where he was. That's right. And his wife wasn't allowed in there. Very similar. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Um, and so he brought her back to his shed where he locked her in there, um, turned the radio up, metal music, new metal, really loud, which <laughs> makes this whole thing even worse for her. <laughs> Definitely. Um, for, it makes, I mean, new metal makes everything worse for everybody, I think. Yeah. No. <laughs> he threatened her multiple times. I agree. He he threatened her multiple times, demanding to know where her debit card was and that what the pin for the account was. She told him. So then he uh, left to go get her. So he went to her house then, where her boyfriend's truck was parked out front and rifled through. He asked her where it was, what it looked like. Mm-hmm. Showed up and was rifling in the in the driveway through her boyfriend's truck to get her debit card. Um, and, at, and at this point, the boyfriend had heard something outside, walks out, and actually sees a man in all black rifling through his truck. And they have this weird standoff where they both stand and like stare at each other. At this point, he's realized that his girlfriend, it, he went when he went to pick her up, she wasn't there. The place was black, all the lights were turned off, and so it, it, it's it's just to me it was blew my mind the fact that he came out, saw this guy in all black, his girlfriend, kind of like. Although she did text him that she was mad and she was staying with friends, like he, it didn't seem right to him. He even admitted he's like, I, th- you know, just seemed like something was amiss. Right. And then he, he witnesses this: this guy going through his shit and like they have this weird standoff. He runs back inside, doesn't call the police, goes to sleep. What? And it's like, yeah, goes to sleep, wakes up in the morning. How the hell do you go to sleep? Realizes she's still missing. I don't know. This part, this when so the way that the book that I read starts, it starts with the Samantha Koenig. Uh, abduction and it, that's where it starts the whole book you know because this is what gets him caught right keys uh but like in the early part of the book you're not it's it, it's like if you didn't know the book was about keys i would have thought the boyfriend killed her because of his behavior like you know like he's the one that's supposed to pick her up they're fighting like there's all these texts you know back and forth about you know they're, they're having a rough relationship yeah. she gets abducted from work where he's supposed to pick her up and then he just goes to sleep after she's missing and supposedly he has this run in with this guy in the driveway and it was just like the whole thing i was just like his behavior was very abnormal to so me. what did he say to him did but he say anything to him were there any words they didn't say anything they to each other they just stared other. at each other he ran back inside keys ran to like a little bush to observe what would happen he and he said you know nothing happened the guy never came back out he was expecting the guy to come back out with a gun or the police to show up or something nothing happened so then he went back to his house where he had samantha in his shed he now oh. had her debit card. He's just like he had her cell phone. <laughs> right. He's gonna go ahead skit scat get out right back home then. <laughs> yep. Wow. Dude, that's insane. Yep. Um on the way back to his house though, Keys tested the debit card and found that it worked. He began to pull out Samantha Koenig's money and then traveled back home. Now this is where he was just so stupid. It's like he he knew to pull the batteries out of phones so that they couldn't be tracked. Right. But yet he he didn't realize that ATMs 
can be tra- tracked, you know, t- can be traced, like they're, where they're hit and when they're hit, for how much. Right. And the guy you know, saw it, it basically you. Okay. And also, a, the guy saw you in his truck. And then he's going to go back and be like, okay, my girlfriend's wallet and debit card are missing. So naturally, right. you're going to put out an alert for that. That number's going to be pulled exactly. up. It's going to be checked. I'm like, yeah, how can he make this kind of mistake? That's what. And it's going to leave a bread trail, right? Like everywhere you, just you go that you hit an ATM, they're going to be able to follow you. You're, you're traveling across the country and all that shit is going to be able to be tracked. Okay, he was just here. He's heading in this direction. He yep. hit this ATM and this ATM. And we can see where he's going when he was there. Yep. <clears throat> he just wanted to get um, caught, so, I think. I think this was it. I think, like you said you earlier, so? he was just getting brazen at this point, maybe. I mean, if I'm if I'm playing your side and he's done all this other shit, yeah, maybe he just wants to die. He's just tired of running around. We've seen it before. Yep, we have seen it before. The call Pablo Escobar oh. made. I mean, they just, mm-hmm. they, I don't know. I just don't think these dumb mistakes are being made just because they're forgetting. I mean, it's their whole life. It's everything that they've invested yep. in. Yep. Uh, once back at his house uh, in the shed, he sexually assaulted Samantha before asphyxiating her. She was dead just hours after being abducted, but her family, friends, and loved ones wouldn't know of her fate for months. Earlier in the morning of the very next day, February 2nd, Israel departed for New Orleans. He, w- he had a, a cruise to go on, and he knew That's this, right. and this was part of why he was willing to abduct a woman from his area, is that he knew he wouldn't be around for the next few weeks. Yeah. Or uh, yeah, I think it was a couple weeks he was going to be on this cruise. So he left Koenig in the shed in his yard and this was winter time in Alaska, so it was plenty cold. He wasn't worried about uh smell or anything like that cuz he knew she would freeze. Right. Pretty pretty dark, but it you know, that that was his outlook at the time. Right. Keys had pre-purchased a cruise leaving from New Orleans which would take him out of the states for the next couple of weeks. This was apparently a regular occurrence for him as he would take these small vacations not only to spend the money from his victims that he had murdered but also to escape the heat of the crime for a short time. Just like don't you think this is odd behavior for everyone around though? Like this dude's going on cruises alone. Like you're in a relationship with someone and it's like, "Hey babe, I'll see you in a few weeks. I'm going on a cruise." Like, how would that go over with your wife? You know yeah, like, not too well. Not too <laughs> well. Fuck? But um I I don't know. What do you think the deal is? Do you think he's taking care of these women financially and so they don't ask any questions and he just kind of wants somebody know. to be there, kind of take care of the house and satisfy him? I guess so certain ways and like a business relationship right. type of thing and maybe that's why he doesn't have any money because he, uh, i mean you even put it here in the the timeline you talked about how he should have had money why was he using the debit card he should have had plenty of money right, right. he was pretty wealthy right well, maybe that's where all right. his money's going maybe he's taking care of the 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 misses back home and so he's like okay i'll give you all this money to keep you quiet and shut the hell up and then i'll make my own money doing things i like to do <laughs> yeah, because I think the only reason he wanted money was to keep doing this lifestyle of traveling around Precisely. and committing crimes and shit. It was about the thrill, not so much like he. Didn't, I don't think he cared about possessions. I don't think he. You know, did I don't either. think he wanted like. Well, fancy he wasn't. Shit. He wasn't raised that way. Why would he? You know what I mean? Like he was no. raised to do everything himself, exactly. to live off the land and take what he wanted. Yeah, so that's what he did. Yeah. Yep. So after he leaves, and during this time, the Koenig family and Samantha's other loved ones began to grow desperate for any word. The only word they had received were those two text messages followed by the intruder that had broken into her truck and stolen her debit card. They knew nothing, and it wouldn't be until February 17th that they would find some more out. On February 17th, Samantha Koenig's boyfriend received a text message from her phone informing her that there was a ransom note at a nearby park under uh, hidden under a lost log flyer 
The ransom note was found by the Anchorage police and demanded $30,000 for the safe return of Koenig. So basically after his cruise, he returns. Uh, Samantha's still where he left her in the shed. Mm-hmm. He then, uh, God, this part to this me is, is just so up. sick. He, God, it's like beyond anything that I've ever heard studying. He actually basically dresses her up, dolls her up, puts makeup on her, and actually used like needle and thread to make her face look more alive, mm-hmm. like to add like a squintiness to her, like ran thread through like her eyebrows down her nose and like to kind of add some uh some sort of expression to her right. now there's pictures out there on the internet there's a picture like a famous picture of samantha that was supposedly the flyer that he sent to them was this picture of her to prove that she was alive so that he could get this money from the family um and i don't I, and from what i understand this picture is a phony the one that's out there that if you google samantha koenig is this you know, there's this picture of him holding a newspaper next to this girl. Supposedly, that's the picture of her dead, you know, purported to be alive. Right. Um, but according to the uh, to the police and everything, this the picture doesn't. The description they gave of the picture that they received in this this note that he left at the park is a completely different picture from what's out there. So I don't know where this picture that's out there came from. If it's real or not, it seems to not be real. Hopefully, it's not. Because I've seen the picture several times now, and I hope it's not the real one. Because yeah, it's... that's really fucked Anyways. up. as it is, but I'm looking at it right now, yeah. and I mean, she does have a weird expression on her face. Right, like nothing that looks like any of the other pictures that I'm looking at here. Right. Hmm. Okay. I don't know. Yeah. Either way, that's a pretty fucked up situation. Yeah. On the opposite end of the ransom note was a photo of Koenig taken a day or so beforehand, posted to look like she was posed to look like she was still alive. Keys had sewn her eyelids to make her look alive, and then placed a four-day-old newspaper under the arm to appear lifelike. Believing his daughter, yeah, see, he placed the newspaper under her arm to appear lifelike. See, but in the picture that I'm talking about that I've seen, yeah, he's, he's holding, holding the it. newspaper next to her. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what the deal is with that picture that's all on the internet. Um, believing his daughter was still alive, James Koenig began pleading to the community to raise money to save his his daughter. The community did a great job of marshalling together, uh, marshalling together to bring back one of their own, and began to deposit money into Samantha's account, which Key still had access to. Remember, he had the debit card That's with right. the pin written on the debit card. Yep. Unfortunately, Samantha had been dead for nearly two weeks, and Keys was ready to get rid of the evidence. He began to, he basically thawed her out, and he admitted to actually having sex with her again after thawing her out. Uh, he then uh, took apart his shed after dismembering her and took her out to Mon- uh, Matanuska Lake where he had cut holes into the surface of the lake and built like a little uh, ice fishing shed right. to you know, obviously hide the fact that he was disposing of a body. There was one other guy out there exactly. during the time that was fishing, and the guy thought it was odd that he was struggling with a chainsaw to cut through the ice. The, the chainsaw wouldn't start, and this guy had a, a drill for drilling into ice like that and and uh israel never came over he was right over there he could have came over and asked to borrow the drill but he never did and the guy found it a little strange when he was interviewed later hmm. uh so after dismembering of samantha while you know his his uh girlfriend and his daughter were in the house he's doing all this in his shed out there just right. to remind you all this is going on uh, he then took her dismembered body out piece by piece onto the lake and tied them down with wire and weights and drop them into the hole in Matanuska Lake. Um, and this is, you know, as we mentioned, 
there's three murders that can be attributed to him for certainty, and this is the main one one because they were actually able to recover her remains. After being captured, he was able to lead police to the hole that he had cut in the lake, and they they sent divers down there and actually recovered her dismembered body down there. But as far as going back to their investigation into Samantha's uh, disappearance, uh, police began to trace the withdrawals from the Samantha Koenig's bank, bank account to ATMs all over the place. He's he's driving on his, one of his road trips again and hitting ATMs and using her card over and over again. They traced uh, the hits in Anchorage, Arizona, Texas, New Mexico, and now because he had this became a uh, this became um, not just a local crime, like a but it became crime. a federal. Yeah became a national crime when he started using her ATM card in other states that allowed the FBI to get involved, which they were chomping at the bit to get involved in this disappearance. Because this, the disappearance of Samantha Koenig became huge news, not only in, in Alaska, but all over the place. Right. You know, it was, it, was, it was everywhere because there was this shocking footage of her being abducted from this coffee stand, you know. And this is, you know, no one knew who the hell Israel Keys was. They didn't, had no idea that other crimes across the country were linked back to the Samantha Koenig thing. It was just a big case because it was this young girl, this young pretty girl that was abducted from her job, you know, right. so boldly. And so the FBI was now involved. And along with the Texas Rangers, they found out he was in Texas. And you don't fuck with Texas That's right. and Texas Rangers. They took this shit serious when they got a bolo, be on the lookout for, you know, a man matching Keys's somewhat they they knew he was a tall slim dude and then he was driving a white corolla i think the police were able to take a picture from the atm that he, one of the atms he had hit focus was it a focus yeah, a white ford focus. yeah the, so yeah somebody in the police department or the fbi was able to to take a screenshot from the atm and get the car and determine the make and model of it it was a rent they knew it was a rental car a white ford focus which is one of the most commonly rented cars unfortunately right but they were basically knew the area he was traveling in and they knew what he was driving, and so these Texas Rangers get to be on the lookout for a white Ford Focus, you know, with a tall, skinny white man. And they quickly found out the person uh, w- was driving driving this Ford Focus. So um, in a chance encounter with a couple of Texas Highway Patrolmen, Keys was identified as the person of interest in the now federal case before being pulled over and detained. So they basically found this white Ford Focus at a hotel. They, they started looking, you know, the Texas Rangers, they started going to the hotels and looking for white Ford Focuses in the parking lot. Right. They found one, and they started looking, like they saw this guy open the curtains in, in like, the second floor of this hotel and look down at him and then, like, quickly close the curtains, and they're like, this is interesting. <laughs> <laughs> That's not suspicious Not at long all. after that. Right. <laughs> not long after that, they see, you know, tall white guy coming out, carrying his belongings, throw him in the car and, and leave the hotel, and they follow it, pull him over, and when the the Texas Ranger walks up to the window and asks him, you know, like, you know, how you doing? Where are you from? And he tells him he's from Alaska. He's like, I've worked, I've pulled over people for 20 years in Texas, and I've never pulled over anyone from Alaska. So right away, he's got to be thinking, like, yeah. this is our guy. He's Alaska, that's just too much of a coincidence. He's driving the car. He right. fits the description, and he's from Alaska. Yep. Um, they tell him to step out of the car. They then call the people involved in the investigation for Samantha Koenig. And let them know that they think they have the guy, and they ask if they have permission to basically search the the vehicle based off of what they have, circumstantial evidence. Yeah. They tell them to go ahead and search it, and they find everything. I mean, they in his wallet they find Samantha Koenig's debit card with the key, the the um, pin code written on it. Um, what else they find? Uh, her cell phone in the trunk of the car, and 
they know. They know at this point. Police had the, the random killer of Samantha Koenig, but they had no idea what kind of intricate, mysterious web they had now stumbled upon. And on March 26, Keyes was taken back to Anchorage where he confessed to murdering Koenig, whose body would later be discovered on April 1st when the divers went down into the into the lake and, and recovered it. Right. During interviews, Keyes was shown to be calm and patient, yet frustrated at all the rules he and his attorneys were told to abide by. Yeah, he don't like rules. He willingly <laughs> gave... He didn't know. And he didn't like... He's one of those egomaniacs who didn't like being sat down and forced to, you know, basically listen to them. And uh, he he's used to being out roaming everywhere he wants to go and he thought he would never get caught right um he willingly gave terms to confess to any crimes he committed and plead guilty to all of the charges brought against him as long as he was executed and the trial took less than a year which is bullshit because he really held back just about everything except for what they could bring evidence wise to him which was almost nothing because he did all these crimes all over the place you know it was just yeah he did a good job of uh, being a serial killer in a sense that there was just it was so hard to trace his steps because he was always everywhere right and so he if, if he really wanted what he said he wanted to be ex which he doesn't understand anything about the law or the court systems if he th- thought that he was going to be convicted and executed in a year that's just impossible right especially when you're talking about this many murders and everything even if he gave them everything and and led them all to, to all the bodies and everything it's going to take it's going to take time that's just how it is that's right um so and and not to mention he's just holding back almost everything. So investigators later struck a deal with him about finding the bodies of any potential prior victims in exchange for the media not knowing any details. Keys didn't want to make public, and this was to protect his daughter. Right. As a result, authorities found and excavated from the farmhouse where Keys left the courier's corpses at, only finding indications of human decomposition. Not wanting his name to be released to the media, he threatened to stop speaking to investigators. Oh mm. yeah, so that was a screw up where. Yeah information did get out that he was the one that did the courier murders and so he was pissed about that and that's when he kind of shut down <laughs> um a bit and this is the you can watch a lot of these interviews on youtube yeah hours and hours of him sitting down and it's really boring well, really you know and he's to his benefit he was kind of smart in the way he did it he was smart and not giving stuff up because anything he told them regardless of the deal is going to get out man we're going to find out about yeah. it. Those tapes are going to come up because once you're dead, you were a piece of shit. Nobody has any respect for you right. here. We're going to look at all those tapes. Exactly. We're going to learn from them, and we're going to move on. So, like, yeah, if you, if you, it, it, to your defense, if you didn't want anyone knowing about these things, that's the only way to do it. That would be the only way to yeah. do it. So, I don't know, man. I'm kind of, I'm kind of shifting back and forth. Kind of shifting back and forth. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Uh, so on a, so there's this back and forth game that he's he's got going on with the FBI, and they, what was it? The, the book talked about this uh, prosecutor that insisted on interviewing him instead of the investigators that knew how to properly do this. They were properly trained, and he was fucking it all up. He was sitting there, and he was it was about him and him taking down Israel, and Israel knew it. So there was this power struggle between the two of them, and that really. It was so frustrating because I think there would be more closure for families. We would know more of what he did if it weren't for this fucking idiot prosecutor sitting there and not knowing how to properly interrogate people. And it was like it was a a dick measuring contest between him and Keyes. And Keyes didn't want to give this guy what he wanted. He didn't want to help this guy's career or whatever. That's what it was about was this guy was uh, I, I wish I remembered his name from the book, but it was like half the book was this back and forth between Keyes and this guy. Right. And and keys would rather give 
he he would rather give the clout to the uh, investigator from Alaska, uh, this this female investigator that had been on his case from the beginning. He would rather sit down and talk to her, but this prosecutor insisted on sitting down and and uh, and making it about him. And he kept butting in, and he just didn't know how to do it. And so it really held it. It really like kind of hampered every hampered the interrogation, and and I think there would be more before Keys ended his life there they would have gotten more closure and they would have gotten more information and found more bodies and but unfortunately it turned into what it was I agree. and that's politics and it's it's you know i think this guy was trying to help his career and he, he really hurt families by doing it i see what you mean yeah i think just having a female interviewer would have been better a female officer yeah. in there you know what i'm saying just something even maybe a young female officer something that would kind of get him off his game a little bit or maybe remind him of his daughter or something I think mm-hmm. you would have had a lot better luck with that. Or like you said, the the detective that started the case. Um, but yeah, that's that's unfortunate that somebody just wanted to uh, make history or maybe get an award in the apartment, in the department, and costed this. Costed the whole investigation almost. Exactly. <clears throat> and so uh, on June... Uh, a routine court hearing debating on calling the case complex turned violent when Keyes managed to escape and tried to attack his his spectators, presumably in a suicide attempt. Yeah, he was able to somehow get out of his shackles in a court hearing, and like jumped over the table and like was basically an attempt to like get killed supposedly. Wow. And he was basically just tackled and uh, chained back up. And <laughs> he was subdued with a taser and taken back into. Easy, I, would, I would have paid to have seen that. I would have paid to have seen that, <laughs> to see him get tased. That would right. be great. Just sitting there with piss all over himself now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the following day, he stressed his perception of the dishonesty from the prosecutors and that his escape attempt was an unplanned and merely reaction to stress. Because of his escape attempt, security measures were increased on him, which included full restraints, a two-officer escort every time he left his cell, restrictions on razor and pencil possessions, and daily uh, daily strip of cell searches. Daily strip and cell searches. So, and he also kind of alluded during these interrogations, like you know, it doesn't really matter anyway, because I can just, I can just take this matter into my own hands. As far as him being executed within a year, he's basically alluding to the fact that he could just kill himself, right? Um, and so that's when he basically gets put on like suicide watch uh, from behind bars. And on July twentieth, WCAX broke the story on Key's connection to the disappearance of the couriers. As a result, Keys refused to speak to investigators for a two month period. So what it what he had wanted them to do would keep keeping everything quiet, backfired. They you know stuff got out there about him, and now he's worried about his daughter finding out, and his, you know people around his daughter finding out right. um, that he's a monster. On December second, Keys wrote a two page front to back suicide note before slashing his wrist with a razor mistakenly issued to him, and also hanging himself. So the suicide watch didn't work out so well. Uh, they didn't take it seriously enough. The guard, the prison guards allowed him to have the razors that he wasn't allowed to have. And because of this odd method he employed in his suicide, the, the medical examiner was unable to tell the primary cause of death, whether it was the asphyxiation or the blood loss. He was even went as far as to fill canisters. There were some kind of cups or something in his cell that he filled with blood so that the blood wouldn't run out of his cell and alert guards. Oh, so, like, wow. He, like, yeah, that he, he was serious about it um and on august 12 2013 federal authorities released new information on keys revealing that they suspect him to have final death toll of 11 victims all killed from 2001 to 2012 
and that there are possibly other victims in Canada where he sought out sex workers and other countries. Because he had also alluded to that's just what's in America. You know, he'd said little things like that. Right, right. So sadly, we'll never know the full extent of his crimes. And But he had said that it was less than a dozen, um, but more than 10. So he basically admitted that it was 11 was his death toll. Wow. Um, additionally, he was confirmed to have also burglarized 20 to 30 homes and robbed several other banks in addition to the Community Bank and National Bank of Texas. Um, so, Those are confirmed? Yeah, I mean, we... Yeah. Wow, 20 to 30 yeah. homes and banks? That... Yeah, man, he was traveling everywhere all the time. Saying. And he was like a ghost. He'd come into the town, wreak havoc, and then take off. He, he also liked to set fires. He, there was one point where he set fire to a, a church... And sat on a hillside observing the reaction. He was one of those that loved to see the chaos that he created. Oh, yeah. You know, the fire, a bunch of fire trucks show up, a bunch of police officers. So, yeah, I know that. I could see that for sure. I mean, he checked all the boxes, man, with the animal cruelty yep. and setting fires and, yeah, traveling. There's a, there's a good chance he did a lot of, he did a lot of horrible stuff, man. I don't know how much he's exaggerating or what, but maybe not at all. Maybe he just genuinely wanted to keep the stuff a secret to protect his daughter. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't, that don't, that ain't no checking the plus column for me, though, man. You're still a piece of shit. Right. Yeah, that's awful. Yeah, and if you're really, if you're really bored and you want to get douche chills, look up his uh, suicide note, <laughs> his poem thing that he wrote. It's so awful. Great. We will. So I'll put it to some good new metal music. <laughs> Right. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, that's Israel Keys. Israel Keys. Hope you guys enjoyed the it. Heavily suggested um, Israel Keys. Yep. And I, I think as far as the dates work out, we're recording this Sunday, the 29th. But I think if you're listening to this, I think it was it's supposed to be released on the first of the year. So happy New Year, guys. Happy New Year, everybody. Uh, let's do some. You want to talk some Oh My Gaia? Yeah. Heading into the new year, smelling good with some Oh My Gaia? Let's do it, man. Oh My Gaia. Oh My Gaia is an innovative, all-natural deodorant, fragrance, and beard oil company specializing in paraben and aluminum-free products. Their innovative line of deodorants inhibit the growth of odor-causing bacteria while maintaining effectiveness. At Oh My Gaia, they use only all-natural, paraben, and aluminum-free organic ingredients. And guys, there's tons of scents to choose from. Like we mentioned before, we have our very own scent, uh, True Crime Pine. But there's vanilla, cherry almond wood, sandalwood, lavender, lemongrass, Egyptian musk, coconut, dreamsicle. There's something for you. For sure, at ohmygaia.com. That's O-H-M-Y-G-A-I-A.com. And because you are a True Crime Guys listener, you can use the word creeper, C-R-E-E-P-E-R, for 15% off your order at ohmygaia.com or at shop underscore ohmygaia on Instagram. Hell yeah. Man, That's it. I smell fantastic. I'm wearing Sailor today. It's been, it's been in my pits for a while now. Yeah. Can't get off the Sailor. Yeah, me either, man. Me either. I really like the Sailor. It's just, it's fresh. It's, it's kind of, I mean, it's kind of a unisex scent, but I think, uh, mm-hmm. it's kind of got a, it's kind of got a manly fresh scent to it, you know? I, yeah. I dig it. I like it a lot. I really like the logo on it too, with like the gypsy sailor woman on there. Yeah. That, that that's yeah. dope. That's really cool. She, yeah. she has great, uh, great logos and packaging and shit over there. Top, top notch yeah. stuff, Wendy. <laughs> All right, so let's. Uh, I want to. I want to give our give some thanks out to people who take the time to go rate and review on iTunes. Absolutely. I want to say thanks to Hamzo two thousand from Great Britain. 
Thank you. Uh, it says Amazing Crime Show, five stars. Hell yeah. Uh, I want to say thank you to Just a Dreamer 13 in the U.S. Okay. Uh, Haley Gashko. Gashko? Nice. Uh, in the U.S. Thank you. Says Can't Stop Listening, five stars. This podcast has me hooked. Thank you. Nice. Uh, and Lorelli in the U.S. said, uh, Just let each other finish their sentence. No, Never going to happen. Five stars, happen. though. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Still got five stars, so yeah, I'll take I mean, it either way. Five stars, and we don't, and we talk over each other too. I mean, it's a win-win to me. We're about that life, man. That's right. We're about that life, interrupting each other. <laughs> That's right. All, right. All right, guys, is that about it? We'll see you next week for another freeloader episode. Well, let's uh, let's plug social media right quick and other stuff like we never do. Oh, yeah. You know? Oh yeah, we're so bad at I that. I know. We never plug stuff. I'm always like, man, why don't we sell stuff or have or get more followers? It's like because you don't tell anyone about it. But uh, <laughs> right. but you guys can search True Crime Guys on Instagram. We're at True Crime Guys on Instagram, at True Crime Guys on Twitter. And then you can search True Crime Guys on Facebook. And there's also a True Crime Guys closed group on Facebook that's somewhere around 1,000 members now. That's, that is insane. That is insane. So 1,000 creepers that don't want other people to know that they're creepers, except for other creepers. So it's cool. You can get in there. You can share your off-color memes that your family may, you know, want you to seek help for or whatever. Frown upon. We just laugh at them in the closed group. It's all good. So. Yep. Uh, Darker the better. Right. And you can't forget Patreon.com. Patreon.com slash True Crime Guys. Two bucks a month gets you access to, like, what, we got almost 90 files, sound files on there, um, most of which are premium episodes. And then a good portion of them are Higher Thoughts episodes, which are my, which is my side show. And then uh, we also release MP3s on there of intros that are requested to be released on there. A lot of people are like, oh, you should release a, a CD and stuff. I'm like, well, maybe one day, but this, I mean, it's already on there. You know, you can download it and burn a CD or put them in a playlist or whatever, right? It's, don't you have that capability yep. through Patreon for most of yeah. them? Of course. Okay, cool. It's 2019. That's right. It's 2019, man. Just just download them and you know, put them on your seed put them in your CD burner. I, I don't even know when's the last time I used a CD burner. Right? When's the last time you used a CD burner? Probably 2007. Okay, that sounds about accurate. Sounds about accurate. Yeah, my uh my uncle gave me he was like he gave me some files cuz he recorded a podcast in like an open room. This is way off topic, but just in case anybody's wanting to do this. And he recorded it like way hot and he had a and he has a table full of people right you got so you got like eight or nine people sitting around a table with four condenser mics and it was it was right. stupid hot and uh so but he gave me the files on a flash drive and it, i said all that to <laughs> say that pretty much but i was like a flash drive i was like you don't got a dropbox or something <laughs> like so I, so I you know i plug it in i check them out but yeah they were they were all recorded way too hot and there was tons of static and shit but it just blew my mind that he handed me a flash drive to to get these files off of but i guess that's that's i mean we, here we, nor there but that's how we used to podcast right that's how we spread the word the first few episodes were sent out in in the mail and usb drives <laughs> that's right remember those days <laughs> yeah exactly you uh you get a, a bunch of uh you buy the bargain usb drives and load all your episodes on them hand them out at front of grocery stores hey man check out this new podcast Hey man, check out the yeah, we had to tell our li- new podcast. We had to tell our <laughs> listeners to tell a friend and then get that friend's address and send it to us uh-huh. so we could send them the next week's episode in the mail. Right, right. It was a whole ordeal, man. It was tough. You had to get on yeah. a mailing list. Then then the digital age happened. That's right. Now it's just all too easy. And here we are. We record and then a couple days later it's live and the whole world can hear it if they want. Yeah. Crazy. 
All right. Are we done? I think so. I think we've rambled enough. But yeah, patreon.com slash true crime guys, redbubble.com. We have uh, merch on there. You can go truecrimeguys.com and we have links to all of our merch stuff. Also at the bottom of every episode, like this one, for instance, scroll up yeah. or down or whatever, and it's down there. There's Creeper Gear and Galaxy, or, uh, right? The Redbubble shop link is down there and also the Galaxy Gear from Ken Custom. We got all kinds of stuff, mm-hmm. man. Stickers, hoodies, shirts, mouse pads, if you're into that kind of thing. Whatever it is. All right? I think now we're done. All right, guys. Now we're Let's done. Go watch some football. All right, y'all. See you next week. Keep creeping. Right, keep creeping, guys. In the desert, we like a mirage. It's okay if you clicked on us because you thought we was True Crime Garage. Now we ain't mad at you. Sit down, let us talk at you. I'm talking to the Creeper Army. We out here making murder. Get murder, get murder. Get you. I'm talking to the creeper army. We out here making murder charming.